Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next episode of the Growth to Greatness podcast. I am here with my dear friend, Zechariah Sasani from Avlog's Gym. What is going on, up, brother? Dude? We finally got a chance to do this. Yes. I'm so happy on location. Um, I've been dying to interview you. I've been dying to speak with you about your journey. I, we talked briefly off camera, and you told me just a little bit about what you do. But before we jump into the now, as I always do, we're gonna go and take it all the way back. Sounds good. So, man. Zach, tell me a little bit about your childhood. Go sure. way back and your upbringing, whatever you can remember, and talk about it from maybe an entrepreneurial lens. I'm looking to surface some moments that maybe led you to, you know, who you are today. Sure. Go as far back as you want. Cool. Well, first of all, appreciate you bringing me on. Yeah, this is a privilege. Been looking forward to this for the excuse me. Been looking forward to this for a long time. Yeah, and uh, this is uh, welcome to the arena. You know. Yeah, it is this the is, arena. Uh, a fortress for the kingdom, as we call it. Yes. And so uh, let's talk about childhood, man. Uh, first five years of my life, I grew up in the back of a minivan. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. It's uh, it's been interesting. Um, my mom is technically her family is from North Korea. All right. Her grandfather. Uh, grew up in that time frame uh -huh. uh, during the war, wow. and we were saved by the U.S. He was in the peninsula when that happened and adopted by the military. And from the military, that's when he came to the United States. And so she, uh, you know, she was nine years old when she came over and to the United States and moved to Jersey, New York. My dad's dad, uh, very similar, Vietnam War. So he came back in, and I bring this up just because it kind of gets some preference around the, the mindset and the discipline and the structure and all these things you talk about entrepreneurial yeah. really came from a time of struggle. And uh, so um, my dad, sad, same thing. So he came from military as well. And uh, he's from Jersey, New York type area and stuff like that. Okay. And so they met there. And, uh, but my mom, when she went to school, uh, her whole thing was that, you know, go to school, get a good education, get good grades, get into a good college, get a good job save up some money and one day retire, right? The yeah. American dream. Yeah. And so uh, my dad was more on the entrepreneurial side. He kind of liked to rock the boat a little bit. Okay. I love that about him. And yeah. uh, so that's where you have the side of, hey, education is extremely important, right? And I think that's a, a key element to an entrepreneurship is uh, education, but also you have the entrepreneurial side of like thinking outside of the box and creative ways and making things happen. And so you combine those two together with military backgrounds and you have a very disciplined household and uh, it's been a lot of fun. And so my mom and dad decided to have kids uh, very early. And because of that, uh, my mom and dad, my dad, he barely graduated high school. I think he got his GED. My mm. mom was pretty much gonna go to Penn State for her honors and she decided to have a family instead. And so mm. uh, when I tell you we started from nothing, I mean, I'm, I mean, like below the, the poverty line for sure. And wow. so for the first five years, I'm one of four, just as a reminder. So I'm the youngest of four. Mm -hmm. I'm 31. Now I have two older brothers who are twins. They're 32. Mm -hmm. My oldest brother is 33. And so they banged them right out. One, one, one. Boom, boom, boom. 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 Wow. Just like okay. that. Okay. Yeah. And so um, very competitive household, all boys, right? Yes. And uh, so when we were about five years old, my mom and dad, uh, we bounced around in different houses and stuff like that. The first five years, we didn't really have a place to stay, if I could put it that way. Yeah. And uh, moved to Tampa, which is an crazy, crazy story, but maybe we'll go down that path if we get there. Okay. Insane. But um, so we moved to Tampa when I was five years old, and we lived with other people until we can finally get there, where well, my parents can finally afford their first apartment. And uh, so that's when I was about five, six years old, seven years old. And uh, it was tough, man. Mom and dad, I watched them work three jobs, both. My dad also served at the church uh, as well, and he put in about 20 to 30 hours there, separate from the three jobs. They had three kids with no education. 
And so they were trying to make it. And I remember the, the van that we lived in, uh, my dad corrected me. I thought it was a Mazda. It's actually a Chrysler. Uh. And uh, we lived in a Chrysler. And I remember when I was, the, one of the biggest memories of the first memories I have, I know exactly where I was in Tampa. It was like 7 a.m. in the morning. And so you have the two front seats, my mom and dad. And you have the bench, which my three brothers are sleeping on top of each other. And then you have me in the back. And I'm in like in the back row. There's not really a bench. It was kind of just like back there. And I remember popping my head up over the bench and seeing my mom and dad. And at the time, I didn't really understand. And, I, and many years later, I come to realize that, one, I woke up because my parents were arguing. And they were arguing about finances, rightfully so. We yeah. slept in a van. Yeah, That's just yeah, our lives. Yeah. And so um, I'm very thankful for what I can't imagine what my parents have sacrificed. If I think about it, it really makes me mad emotional because I can't imagine doing three jobs and having all these things at once, um, not having the easiest upbringing with their parents and stuff like that, having to figure everything out on their own. Um, but all I saw was my parents grind. All I saw was my parents just figure it out. You know, my parents did a great job at um, uh, bringing us up, in my opinion, giving us structure and how to survive and and uh, be disciplined and make sure, you know, you have proper etiquette, your teeth is always brushed, you know, your hair is always combed, your, I mean, everything is to a T, right? And so presentation is extremely important and you sure. represent our family everywhere you go. And they taught us all these principles growing up. I'm super thankful that, you know, my parents probably didn't grow up with, right? And from previous conversation with them, actually they didn't, but they saw these things that they wanted to see implemented into their family uh, moving forward. And so they had to overcome a lot and I consider them what I call generational changers. Mm. Someone down the line, generational curses all the way down the family tree mm. until it met me. Mm -hmm. And that's where my parents really started to declare war on living a different life. Partially why we moved away from Patterson, New Jersey, if you're familiar with that. Oh, I know Jersey. Cauteret. Yeah, yeah, I know yeah. you do. So it's I like know that very the well. advice I have there get out yeah right? get like, out of, don't whatever stay. you have whatever you to do, do get the heck out right yeah, yeah. Uh, and so my parents are heroes in that regard you know they they sacrificed everything it was not perfect um, they didn't teach us how to love ourselves they didn't teach us grace and all these other things they did tell us uh, they love us a lot and they did show it in their own way uh, but there was quite a bit of a disconnect um, which in my opinion was my and I've come to learn to you about 30 years old I'm 31 now is that in regards to personal or excuse me in regards to entrepreneurship one of the greatest things that my dad, more particularly being a man to a man, that he brought to the table for me was all his deficiencies. Hmm. And those deficiencies, believe it or not, are the dragons. So I'll say it this way. The things that he did not overcome before he had children, his children immediately inherited. The hmm. dragons you don't slay, your children inherit. The That's sad it. part about that is I get the back end of that. So I get the insecurities that he deals with, the guilt and shame of not being perfect, which no one is, plus his background, everything else, and then everything moving forward, the complications of life, et cetera. However, right, now 30 years old, um, I'm looking at it from a very different perspective now. Mm -hmm. I'm learning to look at a different perspective, not because I'm great, but because I've been humbled so many times, and now I have a better understanding of uh, who they are and based on the things I'm experiencing in my life. And I say all that because now it, it's very different. I'm so thankful because my dad helped he identified the dragons I do need to slay. Mm. I'm very thankful that I had a father. He is the generational changer. But the generational changer from having no fathers for generations and dealing with all sorts of, let's just say, craziness growing up. Yeah. 
uh, to where we are today. It may take a few generations to live that. I want my kids to live this fulfilled, nurtured, beautiful, incredible life. It mm-hmm. may take a few generations to do that, but we're all a part of that process. And if it wasn't for him, it wasn't for my mom, do I literally, I would not be here. Physically, I would not be here. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So um, there's purpose to our pain. Yeah. Right? Don't waste, don't waste your pain. You know, people see us, especially as entrepreneurs, desperately try to move forward. And it's a very scary place to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's purpose to our plan. Don't wait. Oh, excuse me. What, the quote goes something along the lines of this. I sat in a, uh, I was a part of a uh, leadership forum um, education system, if I could put it that way, for entrepreneurship. Sure. Yeah. And uh, I was sitting at a conference at a very desperate time in my life. Financially, it was insane. And uh, somehow I got up there and I'm sitting there and he says, um, don't, who says, oh, man, I'm forgetting the quote, but something on the lines of like, um, your desperation is someone else's inspiration. Don't waste your pain. Yeah. I saw that my whole life with my family. Yeah. I'm so absolutely. thankful. Right. So that kind of right about five, six, seven years old, uh, crazy stuff still went down. Lights were turned off. My parents made it a game. They would click on lights and they play hide and seek. And all four of us would be huddled in the bathroom and they take picture and they would laugh and uh. they made it enjoyable. Uh, but those are the realities of the situations, right? There was times where we grew up on government cheese, you know, yeah. we understand what it's like to serve at a church that fed hundreds of thousands of people around the world, specifically there tens of thousands. And then that Christmas, even though we're serving, you would almost assume that if we're serving, they're in a lower position and we're in an upper position in some regard, socially, financially, to then receive the same gifts that you're giving to them and you receive the same because you realize when you're nine years old, my parents don't have the money either. Right. We're actually in the same exact situation. It was very humbling to see my parents and their eyes to say, I could see my mom's eyes, bro, it was crazy. Nine years old, my mom giving me this gift and I'm sitting there and I looked at her and I saw her, man, I saw her when she gave it to me, the, hoping that what I'm receiving, I receive it well, that it's enough, that I still think well of my parents, she wants the best for me, all those things. Very challenging for a nine-year-old to say, I was just giving this to somebody else who literally is homeless, who's your younger than I am and I'm receiving the same thing. I remember making these connections in my mind to really look at the reality of the situation but my parents hid that stuff from us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the beginning of the entrepreneurship, you know, six, seven, eight years old and we continue and I, have a, I can continue to go on if you like me to. Um, but I mean, that was just like the beginning ages. That was between zero and like f- probably six, seven years old, Yeah. you know, and then it, it just continued. Yeah. Uh, first off, thank you for sharing all that. That, that was, I saw you holding your tears back a little bit. I, I can only imagine. Um, and, and I know what it's like to be on the government cheese. I mean, we, you know, family coming out of Russia, food stamps, the whole thing. It's, yeah. It was a, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's hell. Um, one of the things that I want to surface from that f- for, for everybody watching is you, you said that it started to put you on that path. Of course, you didn't know it yet. Out of the experience, what is the number one thing you would say that really would hit home if, if there if, if you forget everything what's the one thing that people should keep in mind in their toughest darkest moments based on what you went through what your would you greatest say? struggle would be your greatest victory your greatest struggle would be your greatest victory napoleon hill yeah 1939 they can grow rich yeah are you familiar with it yeah very much uh the story and he talks about it in his book how he created it, the whole book. Yeah. It's actually 12 different books, or like more than that, and then he had to get it down to one. Yeah. It's insane. And uh, 
that's one of the biggest things I took away from that book uh, is a little nugget. I call mm -hmm. it little nuggets, like golden nuggets. Like yeah. life is like a treasure hunt. Yeah. You have this, you know, chest barrel and you're just, you're going in, you're taking all these little nuggets and information and wisdom, conversations like these, good connections, little nuggets. You accumulate this, these jewels and you pass it on to the next generation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I got from, uh, that I learned from Think and Grow Rich was, um, you know, within all of us or within every adversity, is it equal or greater benefit if you have, or excuse me, within every adversity is the seed of equal or greater benefit if you have a positive mental attitude. Yeah. The key word was if nothing else matters. Yeah. And so I would say that's probably the biggest thing is that, you know, I call it the depths, right? When you're going through, if I may, the shit yeah. right, of life, yeah, you may. just the hell of life. Yeah. And uh, when you're down there, man, it's, uh, it's chaos. It's hell on earth. Mm -hmm. And uh, believe it or not, side note, if you hang around the depths long enough, you'll actually realize even at rock bottom, there's actually a door, a latch that goes a little bit deeper. Yeah, always <laughs> and then it's a rave, right? Then it's like, all right, now we're all in here, right? <laughs> yeah. So I was there for a little while, yeah. uh, came up from the depths. Uh, but yeah. what I'll say is this, is that whatever you come up, whatever you learn, the tools that you uh, acquire, skill sets, as Robert Kiyosaki yeah. would say, as you're coming out of the depths, guess what? No one can take it from you. Yeah. That's yours to keep. Yes. Self-respect. It seems like you, you reference a lot of different books. Um, reading is probably important to you hate it but you do it i love to learn yeah hate reading hate to read love. hate reading yeah because it requires me and it taught me which is a good thing yeah to time or uh, prioritize uh time prioritization agenda yes listening is passive there's nothing wrong with listening we're doing a podcast today it's great it's a great resource and tool especially in a busy world phenomenal yeah reading however it's a whole different thing reading teaches us to you have to space out time yeah. You have to have unbroken focus for nine minutes so you can tap into that flow. Mm -hmm. When I read, I don't read to just read. I read to comprehend. So I'm writing notes and highlighting. I go back you the following go day. Yeah. And, re yeah. and next thing you know, now you can like this information. It's not knowledge is power, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. It's application of knowledge is power. Yes. And so taking your time to read that night, let it download subconsciously, and you wake yes. back up, you apply it to your life, and then you see the value of it. You go back to the thing that gave you value for mm -hmm. me, it's books. Yeah. And so, sure, I can't say a book has changed my life. However, the application of the information that applied in my life in that very moment, that in and of itself for me is value, mm -hmm. right? So uh, I do read a lot, um, hate it, mm -hmm. love to learn. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as you were growing up, and, and I do want to continue, so seven, eight, nine years old. Sure. Um, as you were growing up, were you introduced to learning, to reading, to all these things by your family or is this something you learned later on or my parents pushed me in that direction okay um but just didn't no <laughs> it wasn't my thing no i was, I was really lazy growing up so i can tell you i didn't do shit growing I up I, one my mom was very worried about me she was like i don't know what yeah. i'm gonna do with you i don't know what you're gonna end up doing honestly yeah. uh yeah sometimes she tears up on the fights i can't believe you actually figured it out know, you know, know. Yeah. but but a lot of people don't know that the depths that you have to go to um and it, it Side note, really irritating to see social media, really irritating to see content that dilutes the reality. Mm. And I use that term very loosely, um, highly against it. And I think that if people, if we even knew how far we had to go to get through, to get to even, and right now we're still in the journey, we're still doing it. We're not even where we wanna be. I don't think we'll ever be but how far you have to go to even stand anything up. And when you look at what people are saying and the shortcuts and here, take this course and do this thing. And I'm not saying it's all bad. 
I'm just saying that there's a lot of this misinformation and a lot of dilution into cutting the grind. And as your story unfolds here, and for everybody watching, you cannot skip the grind. You cannot skip the berry to the bottom. It's gonna test everything. It's gonna take everything from you and of you to do it. 100%. You, 100%, I couldn't right? agree with that more. I always talk about this on every episode because people need to know this is not work-life balance. This is not... <laughs> Such a lie. This is not gonna be... Like, it's important to some people. Yeah. But if you wanna go to that place where people don't like you, people don't understand you, even your family's telling you, what are you doing? Go get a job, this and that. Then you've arrived. You've arrived in that place where you can finally begin the path. But you have to get to that point. And I think you, you agree with that as well. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Um, before you continue, your father, he mentored you a lot, you mentioned? Yes. Yeah, he's my number one coach. How, how did that go? Tell me a little bit about the mentorship. Did he sit you down? Was it, you know, nighttime stories? Like, we all have it. How, how, what was his approach? I'm, I'm curious. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's hilarious. Uh, at least to me it was. I look back on it now, I'm like, that's, I, I, that's hilarious. I can't um, wait to hear it. My, it was, uh, I was about, about 14, 15 years old about to go into high school mm. and uh, my behavior started to change a little bit. Uh, by the way, first to fifth grade, I had 36 referrals. Are you, are you familiar with referrals? Referrals is what you go to send to the principal's office and you get written up. Oh, and It's like a major thing, you oh. write-ups and you oh. get disciplined and you get three of those, you get in-school suspension, you get another one, you get out-school suspension, then you get expelled. Whoa. So I had okay. 36 and okay. uh, that included a lot of, uh, let's call it disciplinary action. And <laughs> military parents, baby. I love it. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it's been yeah. fun. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so deserved, well-deserved. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm just messing. But um, yeah, it was very interesting. My dad, when I was about 14, 15 years old, um, things started to change and it was because of my association. Uh, it, it did change uh, the standards that I had to uphold as well. And so therefore my behavior changed. And so my dad was like, hey, Zach, like, you know, growing up, you were like what we call the project. I'm like, the project? I'm like, the heck is that mean, right? I'm like, is that good or bad? He goes, well, you know, he's not like this. He's like, well, you know, you're, you're like the project kid. I'm like, what the heck? I'm like, what We're is that? test stuff like, on you. Yeah. I was like, well, I'm like, what does that mean? He goes, well, you. here's the thing. Yeah, exactly. He goes, and I'm, I'm the youngest, which is interesting. Yeah, and he goes, yeah. okay, so either you go really good in one direction, and it's awesome, you make us proud, we're the best parents, we're so, oh my gosh, he makes us sound so good. <laughs> yeah, or, and you go the opposite direction and uh not so great right and yeah. so he said here the project and we had to navigate you and so uh his whole thing was like hey how do we put uh uh purpose and, and channel that passion right and channel that energy in a hundred percent one direction and not the other et cetera, et cetera. and it was it was just an uh, absolute roller coaster right yeah and uh so that that was kind of the, the conversation there and i remember from that point around that time and that point moving forward Probably the big the conversation that made one of the biggest impacts in my life was my dad and I were sitting out um, and uh, out by the driveway. We're getting eaten up by mosquitoes, but we're in deep talk and stuff mm -hmm, like that. Mm -hmm. And my dad, I remember saying, he said, son, if you, if you look at the trajectory, and I'm starting to ask questions. Right? Mm -hmm. So about 14, 15 years old, starting to get a little bit of trust there where I'm starting to really let him in in the sense that the direction of my life and really we start owning or start really uh how do i say nurturing that m not just son and father but man now man. it's man-to-man -man yeah. conversations mentorship protege type of situation and uh you know he said son if you look back on your life and you see where you got today just by looking back how did you get here okay 
and you go back to that step behind you and then, well, how did you get there? And how did you get there? And you start to connect the dots, as he said. He says, you'll notice a pattern. Hmm. There's a correlation in your, in your life to where you got today. And therefore, you can then see the trajectory of where you're going based on the pattern. And you can choose left or right, stop, slow down. I'm doing the right thing, I'm doing the wrong thing, et cetera. And you'll be guided through the process. And so that, for me, really started to set the stage for truly personal development. Because around this time, I already started working out. My fitness journey was I weighed 76 pounds, I was four or nine, and then in three years, I doubled my weight. Okay. Straight personal, just How working out like crazy. I was 12 years old when I started working out. 12? 12. Okay. I was 70, 76 pounds at 12 years old. I was itty bitty, real tiny. Yeah. And then I doubled my weight in three years, and in between that time frame, I started seeing these patterns per se, because uh-huh. I was ready for the conversation because I had to experience it myself. And then I can relate the information of what I experienced and what he was saying and connect the dots and say, wow, there's a parallel here. There's a correlation. And I, now I had something to stick it with, mm. right? And so stick the information to and build on top of that. And so through the progression of uh, starting to train and stuff, then I started to notice these patterns and I started to implement them and maximize them. Today, I know them as success principles or universal principles, mm-hmm. if, I, if, if I may. Your own? I would say common denominators that I see, not only with myself, but almost from a non-biased perspective, I'm observing the laws that are stated already in the universe that are already here. Yeah. And then we utilize them and maximize them. And what we do as personal trainers, uh, and really educators and coaches, however you want to call it, is we, you, we take what people are already doing and like, for example, if someone is really successful in business, but maybe not into their health, well, you already have discipline. We're going to just reallocate that skill set that you've developed in the direction of the physical realm. So I will use, if it's business, for example, just an easy example, I'll use, I'm not like some you know, financial literacy guru, but I'll use some financial terms for them to understand how they built their business by getting to know them better, to correlate it to what they're currently doing to move themselves forward. And then when they start to click it and click in their mind, they go, oh, I see the connection. Wow, I'm really actually good at what I do. I'm just reallocating my resources. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's one of those things where that's where I, I mean my universal principles. This applies yeah. to everyone, not specific just to someone. They're already in play, right, at all times. It's like... Um, How do you leverage them? It's, it's the leveraging of these principles is the most understanding. important piece. Understanding and leveraging, yeah. yes. And, and a lot of times it's, and this is just me, I think it's, and, and I learned this from a friend of mine who's not from this country, and he said, uh, the United States in particular, he says that the Western world is more on the side of uh, always doing things in terms of like uh, financial prosperity. And, and, and I get that, and I'm all 100% on board with that, actually. Uh, but he says that some of these laws in other countries, the same law is used in other realms as well. And so today I understand this as the laws of prosperity. All right. Laws of prosperity, in my understanding from the book that I read every morning, is that there's mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, social. Social ties to financial. Mm-hmm. We understand things as a financial. That's more of a superficial route. But if you learn things in business, per se, then you can say, hey, there's a couple of things that I did here that um, that got me to where I am. So there's fruit on the tree. There's evidence of if I apply myself in these specific principles every day, disciplines, habits, whatever, rules that you live by, standards, et cetera, it'll produce a specific result. Well, now if we produced finances, but it sacrificed our relationships, well, the principles are the same. How do I reallocate and start applying it to relationships? right? Because that's the social aspect. And then when, as you know, you focus on the relationship, it would produce the income. Mm-hmm. 
mm -hmm. we had to find out for ourselves and we had to reverse engineer that. We had to mm -hmm. first learn by maybe not doing great things or doing making decisions that we look back on and said, I would have done it differently. Yeah. And now that we know it differently by treating the customer or whoever it may be that you're dealing with better, mm -hmm. then it, because you're long-term invested into the individual, then the finances come on the back end through miraculous ways from different directions, et cetera. Yes. I want to address that because uh, I think you surface something really important. On the path to gaining, you will lose so much. Hmm. And I think that's important for a lot of people to realize. And I think you hit the nail on the head. When you look back and you said, yes, I would have done this differently because this work sacrificed, I sacrificed my relationship, let's say with my partner, whoever, yeah, yeah. for this thing. You can then understand that you can work backwards, understand what you did, how you did it. And then as you move forward, make sure to fix that. Sure. But without losing, you cannot gain. And that's the unfortunate sacrifice that you're going to have to go through, that we all have to go through, through that journey. And I, and I love how you position that because I think a lot of people want to be perfect and want to try to avoid making those mistakes and, and those failures and what they don't realize and what I think you will speak to today some more, I'm sure, are the everlasting consistent failures that will come again and again and again. Like everybody knows Mike Tyson is the greatest boxer of all time. Controversial, but he would say so. Okay. <laughs> I, think so. I think he would say so. <laughs> or rip your head off. But, or yeah, or ear, whatever. Or whatever. But, and what a great man he is now. And, yeah. and I listen to him. If you don't listen to some of his stuff, so uh, he's, I, I couldn't believe the stuff that was coming out of his mouth. Yeah. He talks a lot about fear, which I love. Mm. But what I love about Mike Tyson is you don't know about his knockout. You don't know about the times he got knocked out. Yeah. He got knocked out quite a bit. Yeah. He is not a perfect boxer, but he's still the greatest. You, you know, it's not about the misses. It's about can you miss long enough to hit, right? And I think that that is the part of the training that we all go through is, in my opinion, and maybe you'll agree with this, is as entrepreneurs, as founders, our resilience to pain and failure, not avoidance, resilience, because avoidance is you're done. Resilience is what gets you to last to the success. It's can you last to the finish line? Because the finish line, if clear, will always be achieved if you can last long enough. And I use the word always because most people simply don't last long enough. They yeah. don't pivot, yeah. they don't move. And it might not be exactly what you thought it was, but at the same time, you made it. Right. And I think coming from a military family and having that discipline is at the core foundation for you of completing. Right. You're completion driven, right? And right. I'm assuming that, but. A little bit more result yeah. oriented for result, sure. Result, result oriented. By yes. the yes. environment that I grew up in, yes. Um, yes. you know, et cetera. And so it applied very well. And I'm very thankful for that. It did not come without uh, a lot of pain, a lot of unwiring, a lot of trauma, a lot of therapy. A lot of working out. <laughs> yeah. A lot of that. So, so let's, and I want to talk about, okay, so I'm, I'm trying to remember all the sure. things because there's so much. This yeah. might be a, this might be a longer episode. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So we were talking about, we were talking about the conversation uh, that you were ready for with your father. But before yeah. you hit that, um, you worked out for three years and you doubled your weight. You cannot just breeze by that shit and me not question what that was because that right there, you basically doubled your assets. <laughs> if you want to look at business in the simplest way, you dedicated three years of your life and you doubled your weight. You hit that target. 
that right there is a, you, you are the business. You worked on yourself and you did it. Tell me about that process. Cause yeah. we're in a pandemic of obesity uh, in this country. Yeah. Our food is poisonous. Most of it. Yeah. The fitness, health, wellness industry is as corrupt as it's ever been. Tell me about your process and, and speak to that a little bit. Sure. And how you, how you got through all that. I guess it's that process of slowing down to speed up. Yeah. Um, that's probably a, the more gracious side of saying it. Um, it's the same thing coming from the depths, depths to, you know, rising up, uh, struggles, your victory. It almost implies that what did Zach, where was Zach mentally and emotionally, even spiritually, obviously physically to be in a deficit that low? Mm. Why were you there to start with? The, to then produce that to result. To then produce that result. So yeah. the why is, is quite key. Okay. And it comes from a feeling of insufficiency, insecurity. Okay. Right. Um, my whole life growing up, I was the youngest of the four, very competitive nature. Yeah. And it was my parents that were, again, they're my heroes. Uh, it was a very, um, how do I say transactional in the beginning, uh, in terms of love, you know, they're Talk working a bit so more about that. Yeah. yeah. My parents are working really hard. They're doing everything that they possibly can. Yeah. I can't even imagine the amount of stress, but they're going through it and they're still being parents to us. And so all they ask is make sure that I did my homework so I can get good grades. Got it. And so it was very competitive in the sense of, oh, you did your homework. Oh my gosh, thank God. Cause that's what I'm working towards. What I'm mm. doing for you to provide that life. Thank you for doing that. Oh my gosh. And we got affirmation from that. So it's not wrong, but it was the only attention that I felt like in my life growing up that I received that I understood, even mm. though I'm sure on their end, it was very different, but that's just what I received. And so it's very transactional. Mm, and so it gets to a point where you're in a very competitive household. Now you're now battling for attention. And so for the um, transaction, for the transaction. And so it was a very transactional love. Right. And, yeah. uh, not always that way, but, and I look back on it now and it wasn't, uh, my dad was very, he wasn't heavy handed. Mm. He was heavy hearted. I learned to forgive him because I could see his heart now. Then, not so much. Mm -hmm. Because when you didn't perform, there were repercussions. Yeah. Very competitive. And now you're at attention at all times. Your nervous system, you're not emotionally safe. So it got to a point where not even in the household I wasn't emotionally safe, but also even in life, you know, I have three older brothers who are very competitive and they have their own insecurities as well. And so we would, we were rough to each other. I mean, it was, it was rough, man. Mm. I had broken bones. Like it was rough. Really? Yeah, it was nuts. Wow. So... It was pretty wild. Just to win? Uh, part of Just partial, to get the attention? Well, we, just would, to, we would, I mean, you got four adrenaline pumped little mini testosterone boys running around. Very yeah. competitive in that environment. It, it was pretty And when you know what your up. reward system's built on yeah. these things, sure. you'll do anything. Very competitive. And so wow. um, it got to a point where I was sick and tired of being 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 yeah. sick and tired. Because it's similar to other people and the opposite spectrum is getting ready to get ready to get ready, to get ready, to get ready, yeah. right? You know what I'm saying? We've yeah. all been there. We've yeah, all been yeah, there. Yeah. People today no, listening, I'm going to listen to this in a month, and I'm like, that's me now. Like, why? You know, it's like, I haven't learned any different, right? Yeah. And so, but the point being is that I was sick and tired of being the weakest. Like, that there was that became my identity because I didn't have an identity. Mm. And someone who didn't have an identity themselves because they were whole, so hurt and fractured and shattered gave me my identity. And I believed the lies that we, what I call it, the lies that bind. And so I believed that I was too skinny. I was too weak. I wasn't smart enough. I wasn't tall enough. I was a lighter skin than my brothers. They call me the white leprechaun. They're all dark and Hispanic looking. It's very uh, interesting. Yeah, and I'm huh. very white, different colored. So like everything we can talk about in terms of tearing someone down. Yeah. Right. Uh, and 
when you're brothers, you know, you, you talk smack to each other. You, know you talk like, a bunch. I, I, I edged them on tenfold. Yeah. I've done oh things that God, are much man. worse than they've actually done to me. Yeah, so it's you're like, an instigator type. Oh, well, yeah, 100%. <laughs> when you're the small, and here's the thing, though. The evidence of yeah. is I was lighter. Yeah. I was weaker. I was smaller. I didn't have the education that they were because they were older than me. Mm. And, then, and all I was surrounded was was evidence of my insecurities, evidence of being insufficient. And so people, you know, it's so funny because I talked about my business partner. His story is incredible, right? How he came from and where he came from and all this other stuff. And it's like people are inspired by that story, mm -hmm. you know? When we talk about my story, it's more of a place, and I'm just being honest, I'm like, it's a place of insufficiency. And so that's what drove me to double my weight because you know what? I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm sick and tired of being bullied. I'm sick and tired of getting beaten up. I'm sick and tired of, you know, I had dealt with a lot of racism growing up. Holy crap, expelled from wow. so many schools from racism. You know what I'm wow. saying? So no matter what, I was never enough. I was an outcast my entire life. And so I was not emotionally stable. I was not mentally stable. I was none of that, right? Were you aware at all of Zero any awareness. Of zero, zero awareness. To 18, zero, zero awareness. awareness. Wow. I remember the day I became aware which is, whew, this is a wild story. That's insane. But Wait a minute. A, yeah, Wait, I we'll know, I know, I know, I know. But back yes, on track, yes, yes, yeah, yes, back yes. on track is that, um, that I was unaware. And so all I saw was rage. And so I was very wow. reactive and not responsive because my household was very reactive. It was boom, boom. Like there was no thinking and how to articulate and use people. There was none of that. It was very, you're defensive, right? Yeah. And so that, that's the environment that I grew up in, right? And so, um, so I started working out. You and I started going to the gym. It. So I would run to the gym. It's three quarters of a mile. I would start working out for about three hours. Now, here's how dumb I am. You ready for this? You want to talk about injuries and Jesus. how I got to where I am today? I would warm up with biceps, the same bicep workout I would do every single day, even if I was training <laughs> legs. Even if I was training legs. I'm like, hey, man, I'm going to hit legs. <laughs> what? <laughs> and remember, we talked about the little, no mini, the little, yeah. the little mini thing that we're talking about here? Okay. Yeah. Well, we called that Mount Sasani when I was a kid. I was 76 pounds with a little baby Mount Sasani. That is My so friends funny, were awesome. Dude. And they made me feel great about That's myself, great. right? And it was super tiny. I was like, itty bitty. It was hilarious. I had such a efficiency bro it's hilarious but the point uh. being is that I started working out so a three-hour workout and then I would usually eat I would go to the pool that was there by the way my parents worked their butts off to be able to live the lifestyle that we did eventually we got out of living literally like just not so great to a better uh, neighborhood better and stuff like better, that and yeah 12 years old we start moving 12 growing. 13 uh, fourth grade is when we moved okay uh, and so then you know I was very thankful and they broke through barriers as a first household that actually bought their own home and both wow. sides of their family like generationally so United huge. States like major major that, stuff man. right and so Unreal. I was able to run to the gym we'd work out for I'd work out for three hours then I'd go to the pool and I'd usually do a whole bunch of laps and then at nighttime which is pretty cool we would do one of three things we would play football, we would play futsal, right? Soccer, like on the on the hockey courts, right? Or we played basketball. And basketball, we would be three on three, five on five, whatever. And yeah. again, I'm itty bitty, so these guys would destroy me. But yeah. you'd still play because you can competitive. You're with yeah, the guys, you right? Play, yeah. Uh, football, same thing, got destroyed. But you know, I was fast, so you know, real competitive. But the the bat, my favorite was uh, soccer. Because what happened was is that you had a whole bunch of Colombians, you had a whole bunch of Brazilians, you had a whole bunch of students from Germany, from USF, right? Uh, University of South Florida, all these interns from the UK. And it would literally be country versus country. Oh, and you would shit. play three on three, five on five, and we would play for hours. Yeah, Dude, I'm talking yeah. like three hours straight. It is round after round after round. And we would play, and me being a mutt... I was, and not that great. I was kind of the guy on the field who's like, if someone was tired, they'd let me on. You know yeah, right, and right. I was just I'm kicking everybody and <laughs> yeah. stuff like that. It was just destructive, right? But I was out there. It was fun. That's cool. And uh, you eventually get kind of good with it and stuff. But that, then I would run home. And so eventually either run or bike. And so uh, that was one element of how I doubled my weight. And that was a lot of fun. The other one, which was probably the one that I looked back on the most, that was uh, very, I don't know, for me, it was very, it was overcoming. I don't know. It was just 
on my own, I'm bored and I want a challenge and I'm kind of just bored. And so I get on my bike and I throw in my headphones, right? And I grew up with a lot of trance, techno. Actually, I grew up with Christian music, opera, and techno. Those are the three things I grew up with. I wasn't allowed to listen to Britney Spears in sync. My parents were not allowed us to listen to that. All, yeah, yeah oh, especially all Russian. Hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. So Di like, dot fm. Yeah. It's still. Bro, yeah. There you go. That was like that's what's the, up. Brit, that was the <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah. That was yeah. the yeah. Only, base hunter. All those yes, guys. Yeah. Yes. The best. The only so, thing. so much fun. So yeah. I would listen to that stuff and uh, break beats, all that stuff. So I would be on the bike, and we lived on a golf course, and the golf course uh, was pitch black at night. And so you would only get street lights when you go from one hole to the next. You go all the way through, navigating all the way through mm-hmm. on this dark golf course and no lights and then poof, bright. And I wasn't afraid of the dark. I was afraid of what's in the dark. Yeah, right. Right. When you live in an <laughs> unsafe environment internally, I was terrified. So I would get on this bike and I'd turn it up and I'd wait till the bass drops and, I'd, ah, and I'm like <laughs> hauling ass down these things. I'm probably like breathing heavy. I'm looking behind me. I feel like things are creeping up on me. All my demons are coming oh, out man. and I'm like, ah, I'm trying to get through and boom, I'd break out. I'd be in the street and I'd recover. I'm like, oh, okay, we're safe. Okay. Wow. And then, well, I'm already so far into the neighborhood. I'm not driving back. I have to go through the entire, and I would go through multiple holes, and eventually I'd go home, I'd be so exhausted, but I would push yeah. myself and feel wow. the burn in my quads and try to embrace that, and you feel that pain and see how far you can go and attest my abilities is where I learned to gain my self-respect in personal training or gain my self-respect in, in physical fitness. Mm-hmm. So when I was out on a playing a sport or walking around, people asked me for advice, I know I can get from experience. I didn't have education, education, but I did have experience. And so these are the little things that I would do. I would run up and down the stairs. I'd do push-ups, sit-ups in the morning. I mean, I would, I would work out three times a day when I was a uh, freshman year in high school. All sorts of crazy stuff. I was obsessed, you know? Um, but it all came from a sense of uh, deficiency of something my brothers told me when I was younger. So I'm gonna fast forward to high school, mm-hmm. right? I'm going to skip a lot of steps here, but when I finally was able to compete on one of the largest platforms from the fastest state in the country and one of the, you know, just, we were ranked in the nation for a while. Phenomenal coaches. I can prove that it wasn't us runners. Mm-hmm. It's definitely the coaches. And, um, I realized I'm like, Hey man, like made to the state meet qualified, all this stuff. I remember going to my brothers who were there at the state meet, taking off my, my medals and stuff like that. I'm like, yeah, bro. He said, I was smaller than you. I was weaker than you. I was this, I was that, all these things, rubbing it in their face. And they didn't even like care. They're just like, are you talking to me? Like, and not, <laughs> not disrespectfully, they're genuinely, they're like, yeah, dude, you're still on that? Like, dude, I don't even remember telling you that. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, what do you mean? Like, no, the, I did all this to prove myself that I'm better than, oh, and I'm man. sitting there and I'm like, kind of like empty. Cause yeah. I'm like, I don't know. I just, I didn't get what I thought I would have gotten from all the work that I put in. And uh, the reality was, is that a couple of things. One, it didn't matter. Uh, but before I got to that point, getting to that point in track and field and sports and stuff like that, um, I learned along the way that I can help people in the process. And I realized, even though I was trying to prove my demons and fight my demons and do all these things and resist and all my insecurities, everything else, because I started to have some fruit on the tree and, and, regard, and getting some physical results, people would ask me for advice. And I would give them the advice because I don't, if I can save them one tear, bro, one tear, I would, I'll sacrifice myself for it to a point where it was a fault mm. and I would give all my information away. So my personal training career started with actually, she can let me say this name. Well, I say the last name. So her name is Cassie mm-hmm. and she was really, really, really thin. And we would walk together. We'd go to the gym and she'd come back and her insecurity was too thin. There's another girl in the, in the neighborhood. I think her name was Gabriella. She loved donuts. And so she says, I love donuts. I'm never going to give up my six donuts. I said, that's fine. Don't, when you eat them? She goes, at the beginning of the day, end of the day. I said, eat them at the beginning of the day. Let's see what happens. She's 12 years old. 
making crap up. She lost six pounds. Right, because at, at night, yeah. you don't want to eat at night. 100%. Right, right, right. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm like, whoa, this is kind of cool. Like, how did I know that? Like, why did I know that, you know? So along the path of all these insecurities, there's a lot of people that I helped along the way. And so even though I made it to the top and kind of proved my brothers wrong, it wasn't really about that at that time. Mm -hmm. Although I did want to kind of rub it in their face. One, right. they didn't care. So I was like, all right, well, that's okay, moving whatever. On, right. Yeah, moving on. At this but at point, the same time, there's so much that we helped with other people to get there, to where they're from. And so um, I realized my contribution back to the world is I love helping people get from point A to point B. Now the vehicle that I apply myself into doesn't really matter for me. Uh, as long as I'm doing that, yeah, right? right? And so I just so happened to, and I did fall into personal training. I didn't want to be a personal trainer. Yeah, I went to uh, talk to my, uh, my student guided counselor and she was like, hey, what do you want to do? I said, I don't know. Like, I never thought about college. I, never, I, don't, I don't know. I'm just focused on track and field. That's all I was focused on. Yeah. It was my ticket out of the household, if I could put it that way, yeah. and kind of just move on away from all that trauma and stuff like that. Yeah. Parents divorce it was kind of sticky. And so I just wanted to get away from it and escape. And um, so I didn't want to be a personal trainer, but all I knew was how to run track. So they said, look, just do personal trainer, sign it up for right now as your major. And when you get to college, you can change it. Then I was going to go to athletic training when I got to college. It's called ATEC, as we call it, our school. And I realized they're all broke. And so I went to physical therapy <laughs> and I realized I didn't have the education. I didn't have the, the wits for it. Uh, and so <laughs> uh, I never wanted to be a personal trainer. So I ended up dropping out of school. And uh, long story short, my dad actually opened up a door here in West Palm. I was living in Tampa at the time. Opened up in West Palm for me to volunteer at a gym. And volunteer. I visited my dad, right? There's a story behind that. But I visited my dad and that guy, his name is Joe. He owns a gym today, still does in downtown West Palm. And he said, uh, said my dad said, hey, this is my son, Zach. I know I mentioned it before. He'd love to volunteer. I'm like, well, what the heck? I was down. But at the same time, I was like, I live in another city four hours away. Like, what are you, like, what? And the guy just looks at me, he goes, so when can you start? Wow. I turned around, I'm like, what? He goes, you're the only one here. Like, when can you start? He was like, really snippy. I was like, I, I can, as soon as possible. It's like, I don't know how to personal train. I have an education. I don't have a certification. I don't have any of this stuff. He goes, that's okay. I'll teach you. He said, can you start in 30 days? I said, yeah. He said, okay, I'll see you in 30 days. You know what's crazy? Today is September, what, 29th, 30th? Yeah. 29th. October 16th would oh, be my 10th right. year. Yeah. October 16th would be my 10th year since I moved down to West Palm. The day I moved down was the day that I started. Wow. So okay. it's almost been 10 years of my professional career. So your dad put you on the path. Oh, 100%. And here's the thing. In multiple ways. Here's the thing. This is the greatest, in my opinion, the greatest asset that you can have in life is to take advice. And this is how I filter information. When you talked about social media, I have a lot to say about that. If people were held 100% responsible for the information that they gave out, and all the people who follow that information, if they got hurt, if that person who put it out there was responsible for it, uh, every, they, we would, would change. have a social media. Everything would change. It would be nothing but cat videos, yeah, which yeah. I'm down for too. You right, know what I'm saying? Right. Like it, yes. it would, not, it would yes. be so hard because now you're, li you're, you're liable. Nobody's for liable it. for the information. So it's that's true. one. So filtering the information when we were back in the day, they didn't have enough information. And so uh, having the internet give us an abundance of information in the digital age, informational age. Now the skill set is how to properly filter that information, and yeah. that's a new skill set. And so we're in the segue between that, and you do obviously really well with that. And so what I've learned is I filter my information based on my values and based on who has the fruits in this area of my life. I will only seek information from people who have what I want, mm -hmm. nothing else, but there's a correlation here, especially in person. If I make business decisions like this individual makes business decisions, I will also have their relationships.
Mm-hmm. And the question is, is do I want that marriage and the relationship with my kids? Yeah. And so I became very, very specific about who I allowed to speak into my life, mm-hmm. especially on platforms. Oh, so yeah. I became obsessive and detoxing all this stuff out. And I only put positive in, but because I allowed myself and I met, I had a phenomenal and still have connection with the greatest person I know. He's the greatest man I know. His name is Joe. I won't say his last name here, but I have more respect for that individual than anyone else. If he said today, hey, Zach, uh, we had a change of course and uh, we're meeting at my clubhouse. I would leave this podcast right now and I would go. I wouldn't mm-hmm. have in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm, Number one mm-hmm. influence in my life. Okay. Not saying that I would because I love right. being here with you. This no, is I great. Get, of course. But yeah. I, in a heartbeat. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so he began to coach and mentor me and take me from a boy to becoming a man. Yeah. Right. And that also included a sense of ownership, getting over your insecurities. Right. Uh, faith over fear type of situation, doubling your failure rate to get to success. You want to become successful, double your failure rate. Absolutely. How do you grow, Zach? Mad or matter. When you get yeah. so upset and frustrated with your circumstances, your brain style starts kick, ticking in a way where you start dialing in on the thing that, and it reveals the things that you need yeah. to be personally taking more of ownership on and you start working on it and then it produces the fruit of. Yeah. He's the one who channeled and funneled, just like my father did and had other coaches in my life do the exact same thing. I have great mentors in my life. That was my greatest asset. It wasn't what I've done. It wasn't me overcoming. It wasn't opportunity, none of that. It was the people who I allowed to speak into my life. Yeah. The book that I read says, don't judge people, judge their fruit. Mm-hmm. Because you will have what they have because you're doing what they're doing. Yep. And so that's not just with business, but everything else that comes with it. Yep. And you can see they are who they say they are, right? Joe, for example, when I met him, I was very skeptical. But when I, the way that I saw when I first met him, it was very interesting. Uh, I didn't know who he was. There's a room of a hundred people. I've never met in my life. He's never seen me. I've never seen him. Mm -hmm. And I walk into a room and we make eye contact and I knew it was him. I saw him look through all of my armor, the armor that I had on. And I didn't know I was wearing armor. I realized I was when he looked at me and I was, I was naked and I walked up to him. I said, you must be Joe. He says, you must be Zach. That was the beginning of our relationship. I knew out of a room of a hundred people crowded, random as heck. Okay. Um, I forgot what I was going with this, um, with Joe, uh, filtering information. Well, you were just talking about how you've had some great mentors in your life and that he was the, this was to do with, uh, this Joe person. Was that somebody that do with your father or was that somebody Not else? to do with my father, no, but he put else. me on the right path. He put you on the right yeah, path. Yeah, he put me on the right path of entrepreneurship. And what yeah. he does is he specializes in startup businesses, if I could put it that way, in entrepreneurship oh, okay. and business. Got and it. So, Got it. Um, I learned everything that I know today. This gym is literally a reflection of everything he's done. He's taught me all the success principles, all the books to listen to, how to filter information, mm. how to select people, people going through a vetting process, checking on character, all these things, these fundamental spiritual principles, as I call them, universal principles. Yes. He helped not only bring these to the table, but then, oh, that's what I was saying. When I first met Joe, um, I didn't know who he was, but when I met him, I knew who he was. This is how I knew what everyone around me said about him. Talk about so great at this guy. This is how I knew this is who Joe was. You ready? The way that his wife looked at him told me everything I needed to know about his character. And the admiration... Yeah. If my wife looked at me that way, I know I've earned it. That's self-respect and I earned her respect to create a safe environment for her and not perfect, but the way that she looked at him with admiration, bro, moved me to my core. I no longer questioned him. Mm -hmm. It was the evidence, the fruit. 
And so in my eyes, there's different stages of manhood. He's in king stage, moving into sage stage. King stage is when, think about it, kingdom. King of your domain, mm -hmm. the people in your environment, your environment that you've created, mm -hmm. both online and in real life. Mm -hmm. You're the king of your domain. Every man is a king of their domain. And how do you know if the kingdom is flourishing and happy? Well, look around in the kingdom. Don't mm -hmm. look at the king. Mm -hmm. Where are they at? Mm -hmm. And I saw the evidence of his leadership. I was standing in it. And I realized this man's the real deal. I was like, I can trust someone like, I can follow someone like that. Mm -hmm. And eventually I learned to, because he just kept on loving on me, kept on loving on me, kept on pouring into me, kept on pouring into me. And he served me in ways that no one has ever served me. Not because they couldn't, it's because he earned it himself. And mm -hmm. he didn't have that background because someone served him. It's so the greatest asset, in my opinion, that anyone can have is having someone that you can, first you must look for that individual, be willing yes. to be coachable. And this is what Joe says, same with Yoda and he's going to look up when you're ready, when the student is ready, the master will come. Yes. hundred percent. Not the other way around. It's never the other way around. Yeah. Napoleon Absolutely. Hill, he says that become first an intelligent student, student right, right? Right. Before you become a great leader, become an intelligent student. Intel what is an intelligent student? What does that mean? Right. And so he put me on the right path and I had a, I'm just so very thankful to have him speak into my life, pour into my life. And I know that there's love there with no agenda. I know there's nothing but love there. I'm so very thankful for that because it's relationships like those, right? That put me on the path, that gave me the right resources that I am literally, I kid you not, I'm a product of his environment, his environment and many others. And I do mm -hmm. have different mentors in different areas of my life. Sure. And I, someone could give me advice. That's great. Here's the thing. If you and I drive the same car, I'm not taking stock advice from you <laughs> because you and I drive the same car, right. not the car itself, but you see what I'm saying? Yes. Versus yes. someone who there is fruit on a tree and this is what they've done and they have credentials and they have the right agenda, yes. right? Credibility and agenda is key in regards to influencing yeah, me. That's how I filter influences, yes. making sure they have the right agenda, right? They want the best for Zach, period, right? And there is benefit in that too, right? Because you should benefit as well if you're pouring into me kind of situations. Yeah. So that's reality, right? Yes, that's that's of a course. really blessing. It's an amazing right. thing, right? So both nourishing one another. Mm -hmm. Agenda's there, but also credibility. And when that person has that, they have my attention in that category. Yes. You have to earn the rest, right? Yes. Because I, I filter very hard because men, man is, man will always fail, right? Yeah. Uh, so I do filter that, but I do believe having someone speak into someone's life and then someone be receptive to receive what the individual is saying, mm -hmm. right? In my opinion, that in and of itself is greater than anything else yes. and not having that coach or mentor or someone above who can bring you along in those areas in your life, man, you are shooting blind. Yeah. And sure as heck, I will not follow you. I don't care who you are. I will Absolutely. Not follow you, period. Absolutely. And, and I think that the most important part of the journey is having the right mentors. Right. Because it's even before the journey starts when you become that student yeah. that you can actually move forward. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I think that many people don't have mentors. And I think it's a big mistake. I think the first thing you do is you seek somebody that you can see based on how they operate, like you said, and you have your own filters. You see them as someone that you want to be potentially. Emulate. And then hopefully you can get their attention somehow. But if you're, if you're the student and you're ready, you will get their attention. Yeah. Because they won't be able to not see you. You'll be everywhere they are. You'll, you'll message them. You'll do whatever it takes. Um, that's, how, that's how I got my first mentors, my first clients. Anyone that I've ever worked with, um, I reached out to them. I, I sought them out. Yes. I said, you are where I want to be. What do I need to do to get your attention? Sure. Anything, a word, uh, uh, an email. Give me anything to put me on the path. Test me. Yeah. I don't care. 
And then I'm gonna go do it. Mm. And I'm gonna come back to you with it done. And then I want you to give me the next thing. And I don't want anything, I just tell me. And I think that that saves so much time. Everything. in, in, In searching and seeking and trial and error and all this stuff. So knowing what we know now, and then how did you meet Joe? Uh, through a guy named uh, Jason, met me at a Chipotle. Oh, and, so this uh, was like a random... Super random. No, actually, there's a story there. I was doing, I was starting up a construction business. Okay. And we would do hard copy. So you'd literally have a flyer and you put it in North Carolina, Charlotte, North Carolina. Sure. And you would put it inside the mailboxes, essentially. And uh, I would just or drive around all day for eight hours a day. And I'd take hundreds of flyers. And I'd do 800, usually about 800 to about 1,000 a day. I would do this for eight, nine, 10 hours, driving on the wrong side of the road. Stories <laughs> about that car. This is to get your crazy, company just off to get the, the ground. business off the ground, right? Just to get that, business and you get this calls. This is what it this takes. Is, oh, I would get on rollerblades, dude. <laughs> because like then they were smart. They were very smart. They didn't have individual mailboxes. They had one just box. Uh, and with everyone would go to it. And they would. So yeah. I had to go door to door. And I wasn't going to miss it because it's a new neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. And we did hardscaping, outdoor living, uh, Charlotte, sure. you know, uh, porches, pergolas, decks, outdoor grills, et cetera, right? Well, fireplaces. And I'm like, this is the number one industry there as here. It's probably, I don't know, uh, retail and like health and fitness is very popular here. Yeah. North Carolina is outdoor living, you know, having time with your family, inviting people over Thanksgiving, things like that. So it's the number one business there. And so I would get on, I would put on my entrepreneurship, put on those rollerblades, and I would go door to door and I would drop off those flyers. And bro, oh, I can't yeah. tell you how many times there's like some electrical guy looking up and he just starts videotaping me because I'm and I'm going to each and every house. And one of these, I'm slipping, I'm sliding, I'm twirling and stuff. And I don't know how to roll a bike. You know what I'm saying? You're so, just- <laughs> and you're just downhill. I'm like, I'm from Florida, man. We don't have hills, right? The biggest hill we have here is a golf course. You yeah, know what I'm saying? It. So I'm not used to, it was crazy, but that's how I got business, you know? And I, Take them off, put them in the trunk, go to the next neighborhood, or go to the next one. And so I was getting lunch, and I was on a really, really tight budget. I start pre-making all my meals. It was a hundred. It was a dollar and seventy-six cents per meal. I mapped it out: rice, broccoli, sweet potato, and chicken. I would just eat that with like Polynesian sauce from Chipotle or a Chick-fil-A, and that's what I lived on: breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Because I was just so broke and just trying to get the business off the ground. Yeah. And so one day I'm coming out of a very specific neighborhood and area, and my something in my gut tells me exactly where I need to be. It says, go to this Chipotle. Huh. And I'm sitting there in my car, I'm at the light, and I look over and it's my meal that's sitting right there. And I'm like, why am I going to Chipotle? Mm. And the light turns green and I start driving in that direction. And after battling in my mind for about 15 minutes, I finally get there and I'm looking up and it's the exact same image in my mind. I'm like, okay. So I reverse parked, walked right inside. I start eating Chipotle, I'm reading my books. And this guy walks into Chipotle. I say, you know, he looks at me, I look at him, we nod and stuff like that. And it was the weirdest thing ever, man. I'm talking about the weirdest exchange that experience. That is very, you very, Here's very the thing. odd. It's lunchtime, so everyone gets their food and gets out because it's a, kind of like a business district. And there's three people in the Chipotle. There's probably like 30 seats. It's pretty large, right? And this guy sits right next to me. Like he brushes his butt along my elbow and sits right there. And I like look at him. And I turn around, bro, there was one person way down over there and way over here. This man sits right next to me. And I'm yeah. like, okay, that's interesting. So I'm just reading my books, kind of doing my thing. And we get talking. He ends up being like a normal dude. Yeah. And he asks me what I do. And I told him and I asked him what he did. And he said he's connected to a guy named Joe, uh, financially independent, very successful individual. Sure. And I can go about his accolades. It's incredible. And I said, I was mad genuinely when I heard about this because he was coaching this individual Jason how to get out of his job if I could put it that way by helping him become financially independent because this is what Joe does yeah and I'm sitting there and I'm like after everything that I've been through and I've never met a guy like this 
very contempt at this time. Like I was just very about me. I'm sitting there. I'm like, why the heck do you know someone like that? And I don't, I was mad. Yeah, I was like, dude, yeah. I should know someone like this. Yeah, this is yeah. ridiculous. I go through way too much crap. So I said, what do I got to do? Just like you said, what do I gotta and do? I sought Jason out and he opened up the door to Joe. And ever since then, you know, my life's been different since the day I met Joe. So that's kind of like how I met Joe. It's kind of a crazy, uh, thin threads, yeah. very yeah. thin threads. Yeah. 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 So. I find it interesting that you can be working on one business and that the activity that you do building and failing and at one thing will give you the universal boost oh my gosh. for the next thing. 100%. It's all the same. Mm -hmm. uh, when you look at the plane of the energy of how it works is mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what you're grinding to achieve. It doesn't matter. You're doing totally different. Something totally different now, right? But you... You proved to the universe that you were willing to eat shit, yeah. <laughs> literally, yeah. for X amount of time. And for that, you got, the, you got tested. There's a you return. were tested. You got yeah. the ROI. And the ROI was meeting Joe. And from that point, your life was different. And had you faltered and not done the rollerblades, had you done anything different, you wouldn't have met Joe. And you wouldn't have had that gut feeling. And that's one of the most important things that... I've learned from doing these podcasts and, and that I tell people from my own journey is just put in the effort and go through the pain. Go do, do something that puts you onto the path of failure. Because once you hit that rock bottom somewhere else, a door will open to the next thing that you've got to grind through and go through. And it's always this stepping stone. But it's not going to be one thing. It's going to be all these different things. You just got to be ready for that and be open for it to be that. It doesn't have to be what you think it is. You and know, a hundred percent. And even in a in a, a practical sense, because what you're saying covers so much ground. There's so much wisdom in what you're saying. How to apply that in this very moment is this is my belief system. Is uh, I'm a Christian. Yeah. Faith. Faith. Now, faith, yeah. here's the thing about faith. I read a book called How Faith Works probably works right and learn what that is because I didn't know what it was difference between faith and belief mm. very big difference very big difference yes so I won't go between all that down that rabbit hole yeah faith can be interchanged at any moment it's a synonym for action yes action on what you believe now <laughs> faith and fear are very interesting it's action on what you fear the most now here's the thing if you're not asking the right questions you will always get the wrong answers mm -hmm. or you will always get an answer it may not produce the results that you want mm -hmm. so it's a slow down to speed up kind of process mm -hmm. and so practically everyone knows if i say put your fear on the table right now what are you afraid of do practically today that you could do that you would do if you knew you didn't fail or would be embarrassed or whatever the opposite of the fear is yeah. what would that be and that's where it is. So there's a book called Magic Thinking Big. It's literally sitting in my car. Mm. And chapter 2, 12, and 13 talks about the failure diseases. Again, Joe put me on this book, Failure mm. Diseases. He says, Zach, if you like what you read in 2, 12, and 13, read the rest of the book. If you don't, put the book down, and here's another book to follow up. Put me on an education process. Mm -hmm. um, and two chapter 2, 12, and 13. And in that book, there's one phrase, my favorite all-time phrase, action cures fear. Mm-hmm. And now I know why he wasn't referring to just action. It was faith, faith on action on what it is that you believe. And so the practical sense and what I'm referring to in regard to what you're saying, why would I put on the rollerblades? Why would I go through the hunt, that gut feeling, put myself in the position mm -hmm. to do all those things? It requires courage. Yeah. And this really now I'm going to kind of go 
pivot just a little bit, if you don't mind. No, the values course. for the gym here is an acronym for focus. Mm. Okay. F stands for faith, action on what you believe, action cures fear. O stands for optimization or um, maximizing or a standard of excellence for oneself, not for others, but for oneself, right? This is all for the trainers. Mm -hmm. C stands for courage, which I think is the, the toughest one. Not the toughest in the sense that it's the hardest thing to do, but how do you generate courage? And I believe if, if you want a big dream, you get around big dreamers. You chase the heat. Chasing the heat, what does that mean? Chasing the heat in regards to mentorship is you get around other people who are on it, bro. They're on fire. Mm -hmm. They're in a season of their life. Everything they do turns to gold. I mean, they're mm -hmm. just crushing the game, yeah. right? Trending, as some people call it. They're crushing the game. You see what I'm saying? And when you get around those people, you start to receive information from them, right? A little nuggets here and there that help you break through. And the thing is, is you now you're becoming more equipped, right? With what it is that that helps you with your life because they talk about their struggles and their victories. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, of course. And so you begin to chase the heat and get around those people. And the closer you get to the heat, the more warmed up you get. Mm -hmm. So the key is getting close to the heat. You chase the heat at all times. If you're cold and you're, and you're stuck in your own head and you're, and you're fearful and you're all these things, dude, you need to get around people. You need to get around people who have success in what it is that mm -hmm. you want to achieve. Get in front of them. You start taking action. It doesn't matter if you, it's not about messing up. It's not about yourself. Get your head off yourself. Focus yeah. on other people. Serve other people. Give what you don't have and you'll receive what it is that you didn't have. Right. Right. If you don't feel love, give love and you'll receive love. You yep. see what I'm saying? That's yeah, how, the gift to get. Uh, it, in some capacity, yeah, absolutely, yeah. You have to give to get, and you have to put in, the, yeah, you're absolutely right. S sow seeds in order to get something back. Mm -hmm. If you want heat, you put in firewood. You don't just yeah. get heat right. from the firewood. You put wood there, and that, nothing happens. You have to light it, right? Yeah. And then it comes yes, You get heat, yes, right? Yes. 100%, give to get. I, I, I completely agree with you, yes. And so you get around the heat, and the thing is, is that eventually it gets to a point where their belief, again, that's why mentorship and coaching is so important, which I want to touch on that, but when those people begin pouring into you, you then begin to borrow their belief and begin to believe in yourself. That was Joe for me. I didn't believe in myself. I have a, not the worst background, but it wasn't easy either. And mm -hmm. so as he began to pour into me, he said, Zach, man, borrow my belief. Borrow my belief to just take action. Pick up that phone, give a call. Go out there, go above and beyond. Go back to your car. Even if it's weird, man, go say hi to that person, right? Go ask that person if you could take their cart. Mm -hmm. Begin to step out of that comfort zone. And I didn't have the courage to do it. It's too insecure. It's too about myself. I didn't know how to do it. I was like to mess up. And I did some weird stuff. I weirded some people out. Pretty sure someone probably called the cops. I was just weird. <laughs> I just weird shit. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. But the thing is, is I borrowed his belief until I learned how to believe in myself. Mm. And then when you learn to believe in yourself, not in then, but I would say in the process, that borrowing that belief around people who genuinely care about you. And I hope someone has one person who genuinely cares about them. And a lot of times people don't think they have people that genuinely care about them. It's just that they're not opening up to a person and actually talking about their struggles. And then you realize that person actually cares and they never had an opportunity for you, them to be spoken into. And then they realize, oh my gosh, I'm surrounded by loving people. Yeah. For example, someone about to commit suicide they reach out and then you have a whole bunch of people who surround them it's like dude we don't want that to happen like we didn't know you were struggling so yeah. then we start pouring into that person and make sure that they don't do that men have that conversation about you but i get it all the time mm -hmm. and so my point is is that i begin to borrow his belief and it began to develop courage inside of me and that courage it's hard because when we get disappointed and we get hurt and backstabbed and I can tell you, I have some stories about backstabbed mm. and business and relationships and family and all these things, right? Mm. And I've done it myself. I'm not, I'm not free of that. I've mm. done it myself. I've been a part of the problem. Joe mm. taught me to be a, pointed me in the direction to be a part of the solution, right? Mm -hmm. That courage as it develops inside of you, it's almost like a tank. 
And at a certain point, that tank gets filled up because you're around people who love you and support you, et cetera. And they start pushing in the direction that you want to go in. Not their agenda, but their agenda is to help you. Then you begin to get to a point where you feel like you got to take some action. You're going to do something. Mm. It's going to overflow. And that overflow is action. Yeah. So I genuinely do believe, and that can come from the esoteric side, right? The love and everything else, but that could also come from pain. You just get mad. You get so frustrated. You, you get just start moving, you bro. Just you get stop sick to- and tired. I think it's tolerance. When you are done tolerating, sick of it, bro. Yeah, when you're sick of it, when you, you will not tolerate anymore, that's that's my overflow. Hundred percent. I'm done tolerating. And it gets you I moving. Just cannot tolerate it. It gets you moving. Yeah. You yeah. know. And I just my my objective uh, to just add to your point is to lower my threshold for tolerance mm. in anything in my life I find negative. Mm. I want to have the most, the, the smallest level of tolerance. So this way, I become it becomes intolerable almost immediately and then I have to change it. Um, this way I don't wait for it to exacerbate. And I think controlling tolerance threshold is a really important um, aspect of awareness um, because you don't think you're tolerating something, but you are. It happens a lot with relationships, uh, partnerships, things like that. You start to tolerate things that you shouldn't be tolerating and your threshold gets worse and worse because when you tolerate something you shouldn't tolerate, the other party realizes this subconsciously potentially, right? And then what happens is that they'll push even further mm-hmm. and further Boundaries. and further. And then eventually you feel so pressed that by the time you realize you can't tolerate anymore, you're so far beyond any reparability of the situation that you, you, you pass the opportunity. And then of course, you don't tolerate it, so you have to make a change, you have to take action, but you could have done it sooner and potentially salvaged a lot more. Sure. And so I think tolerance and being sick of it, being sick of things more quickly hmm. should be should be imposed yeah. on one's, on one's discipline. Yeah, 100%. boundaries, boundaries. Yeah, yes, there's a that's book the on boundaries. boundaries. I only got boundaries. to page 127 and I realized, I said one, I can work on this for the next two years yeah. and I still won't get it, so I'm gonna pause here. And I know other people, they could just read the book and they're fine. But I learned that in a book called Boundaries. And uh, yeah. when I realized this, it explained a lot of what I was going on, especially even how the gym came about specifically, mm. uh, a very direct correlation. And I learned quite a bit. And so boundaries are quite key and they're not walls. I thought they were walls. Uh, I guess mine is still kind of a wall, a little protective sometimes. So it's more like a wall with a drawbridge. You know? Yeah, that's good. But there's definitely some sharks down there. Like if you fall over, it's real thin too. So I make it a vetting process. Like that's just, uh, hey, that's welcome to my kingdom. Yeah. And, but right. once you're in, it's freaking party. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, But sure, you got to get in, sure. right? So, <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, their 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 wall boundaries are are gates. They have gates and their fences, and you allow things in because if you don't allow anything in at all, then everything's internally explosion, right? Yeah. So right. you have to allow a little bit in and out, et cetera. So there's a little bit of a an understanding, uh, if I if if you will, and some soft skills involved there yeah. for sure. Some grace and mercy and love and forgiveness and all those things involved with that. Yeah. Uh, and people learn that for sure. But boundaries are key, and I do believe that there's certain people who have certain tendencies, or everyone has different tendencies we based do. on personality and how we deal with things, especially and, as men. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Especially, but men are, yeah, that's true. And for the most part for dudes, it's respect at the end of the game. You know, it's all about respect, you know, and for ladies it's love. And so, um, but yeah, between dudes, it's, it's, I mean, think about the Spartans, um, or even the Greeks when they would handshake, do you know why they would grab here? Have you ever seen a Greek ever do this? Yeah. 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 yeah, Right. If you watch it, like, I don't don't know why though. So watch when they do this, you know what they're checking right here Uh, is where someone would have a knife inside their gauntlet. Uh, and so they wanted to check to make sure that there's trust. That's cool. Because they would take it out and there'd be an ambush. Uh-huh. And so what they would do is they would check. Even though they trust you and your brothers, blood brothers, 
they're still checking trust they but understand. verify yes always right <laughs> trust but so verify. and there's 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 boundaries of respect with men right yeah. and we do that for a reason yeah. and so it goes way back right that's but that's why they do that so yeah Boundaries is a very interesting topic and intolerance is key on that one for sure. There's going to be like a follow-up podcast, I think. For sure. So what comes after courage now? Courage is unity. Unity. Yeah. Unity. So there's a different, I had to learn this. It's very interesting. At least for me it was because I didn't understand it before. There is a difference between being in alignment mm-hmm. and agreement. Okay. All because we don't. I, I can be in agreement, or excuse me, not agreement, agreement and approval. There's a difference, okay? I can be disapproval of somebody and still be in agreement with who they are. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? What I mean by that, the goal, at least in training, right, is to make sure between the trainers that we're serving the client. At the yeah. end of the day, we're serving the client. We're focused on the client because we're focused on the client. However, our methodology and how we get there doesn't need to be the same. Someone can disagree with how I go about doing something in terms of like how to teach like Zeke. He may teach Bulgarian split squats different than I do, but at the end of the day, we're focused on the client and as long as it's producing results and someone's not getting hurt, it doesn't matter. Although I disapprove his technique, which I don't, I'm just giving an example. Yes. He's a phenomenal technique. I actually learned quite a bit. He's, I'm, yeah, he's a phenomenal trainer. Yeah, I talked to him a little bit. Phenomenal. He's great. Yeah. And great trainer. And so the thing is, is that he may have a different technique or style on how he does things, right? Uh, but even if we didn't, hey, we're still focused on the client. We're in disapproval, but we're o- we always have to be in agreement. We all have to be in alignment, right? Mm-hmm. And so unity is key. And when clients see that there's unity within the trainers, right, then the clients can trust everything that's going on in the environment. Yes. Now, here's my biggest thing when it comes to business, and this is why I vet. And I tell my trainers as they're onboarding the same thing, right? And I tell them, I said, look, here's the thing. You have to also know my agenda as well. It's not that you're, I'm vetting you. You're also vetting me to say, to see if I am who I say I am. Does that make sense? Yes, of course. And so this is where the unity aspect comes in is because they're also vetting me as well. Of course. Right? Um, they're committing their time, their livelihood, everything. Sure. To the, to the so guess who my first customer is? Who? It's not my clients. Our first customer is my trainer. Your trainer. And yeah. if you serve your trainer, your trainer will serve your clients. Yeah. My first customer is my trainer. Now, I won't say this, that if the client complains about something and it's legitimate, they're going to be like, oh, no, well, screw you because I defend my trainer. Well, that's stupid. Right. Um, I won't sacrifice, and I learned this hard way. Man, this is a rough one for me to learn, lesson to learn, in a book called Winning with People by John Maxwell, favorite book by John Maxwell ever. Mm-hmm. I refer to him a lot because he's a leadership uh, mm-hmm. guru in the world, right? Uh, coach and mentor is Joe and Mary Beth, right? That's Joe's wife. Uh-huh. And uh, he also leads United Nations. So then he teaches United Nations and then goes to Joe Mary Beth and then Joe Mary Beth pours it into me and I go to Christ Fellowship, but I hear it again. Yeah. And I'm like, whoa, that's wild, right? Universal principles. Doesn't matter the circumstances. Doesn't matter. They still apply. And so um, I, was, uh, I was referring to, sorry, I was referring to... Um, Trainer's your first... Uh, Trainer's my first, yeah. You won't so, sacrifice. Yeah, so I won't... You have to learn the hard way. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I would, I'm not going to sacrifice the client for the circumstance. I will always value, I think I said that right, I'm always going to value the person first over the circumstance. Mm-hmm. I used to do the opposite because I'm focused on the result and mm-hmm. therefore I sacrifice the person mm-hmm. in the name of doesn't matter. It does mm-hmm. not matter. And unfortunately, if I'm always winning, someone else is losing. Mm-hmm. Hard lessons I had to learn. 
through loss, like you said, so mm-hmm. then I can gain, mm-hmm. right? And now how to learn how to nurture those relationships within the community. We call it an ecosystem because we, all of us are specialized. We all specialize in something different. We all complement one another. Mm-hmm. And therefore we're not doing the same thing. We all kind of do something a little bit differently. I allow that expression, that signature of how they go about things, their branding of who they are. I want that expression here because their creative output is unlimited and they can become a good or tra- better trainer to then serve the client. Mm-hmm. And so how that works is being in unity. And so my, my very first customer is my trainer. Mm-hmm. I know if I take care of them, they'll take care of the client. Mm-hmm. And so I'm willing to be backstabbed on that law. I'm willing to be uh, hurt. I'm willing for people to scream. I'm willing to. Why? Because and it develops courage. It requires courage for me to trust people to do it. But I'm willing to put myself out there because I'm confident in myself that no matter what happens, I am going to bounce back because I have had to. Right. Yeah. And so that's where I'm why I'm also willing to be courageous in this area, to be willing to serve those guys, even if they at the risk of them stabbing me is because uh, is because I know that no matter what, I'm always going to come back. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's where that kind of unity comes in, is that uh, our unity is that I got their backs. That's the biggest thing at the end of the day. And that's important to them, too. Be- and sometimes and I will say this is that sometimes clients get really comfortable with the trainers. And so yeah. they start pushing the boundaries, as you say. And the trainer wants to be tolerant of the situation because they're understanding. Yeah. But the thing is, is sometimes unknowingly that clients would sometimes take advantage of trainers. Yeah. And then that's when I get ticked and I go, uh-uh, nope, we're charging that client. Why? Because it's within 24 hour notice. If they cancel and it's not medical, you need to get paid. Yeah. So right. if they have an issue with it, come talk to me. Mm-hmm. Why? Because I want to make sure my boys and girls get paid. They have yeah. to eat at yeah. the end of the day. Yeah. Of Even course. though your circumstances, I'm so sorry. Right. I mean, God forbid, dog swallows a sock. I'm not going to charge you. It's medical, right? A car breaks down. Okay. I'm going to be lenient with that. You're not expecting that. But sometimes sometimes clients can get a little bit creative yes. and so we have to put them at boundaries i have my boys and girls back yes. we're in unity all yes. the time these are yes. my people these are my warriors these are the yes. people i love these people i will protect yes and the last one for focus is s is service i was going to say service or servitude servitude is really what it comes that. down to yeah, which yeah. is yeah. in my opinion manhood mm-hmm. synonyms exact same thing mm-hmm. it's selflessness yeah. right we're not focused on ourselves and your agenda and well if i take my clients to one and i had this girl come and she was going through the vetting process and she's like, hey Zach, you know, I don't think it's a good, be a great fit. I said, hey, I totally understand. I'm glad we had the conversation, and, but I would love to know why, just so I can do things better on my end. She goes, well, you know, uh, I'm not gonna make as much money and I got a better deal here and this, that, and the other. Now, as a business, that's a good decision to be made. Uh, in my opinion, based on deeper circumstances, which I'm not gonna get into, mm-hmm. she was, I only, this is all I heard. Me, I, my, mm-hmm. mine, income, schedule, et cetera. And so there's an element of protecting your book of business. I completely agree, but I can sense it was not about her client. She was focused on herself, yeah. which then could potentially sacrifice clients. Yeah. And so I hope that doesn't happen, but I noticed that and I said, mm, man, you know what? I'm gonna definitely keep this door open because she may need a place if it doesn't work out in the direction that she wanted to go to and extend that grace. And so I encourage her, shoot her a text, high five her when I see her and stuff like that, nothing against her. Mm-hmm. I just know in the back of my mind, I'm like, that might've been a rough because self, it was pure selfishness. It was yeah. pure financial gain. It had nothing to do with the clients. And yeah. Yeah. I can go down that line and, don't want to refer to anybody in particular, but we have had very, very uh, uh, serious conversations with other business owners who are full on, all about me, full yeah. on, yeah. verbatim. Yeah. It's not about the client. 
I will yeah. place you as a trainer. I will place all your clients. I want financials. I want more money. It's all about me. No one's getting anything extra. Me, period. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, our values are not the same. Yeah. And I departed because I said yeah. I'd rather sacrifice the circumstance and save the relationship. And I left. And that's why we have the gym that we have to today. Yes. Right? So the method, heart, I think is good. But the methodology and how they go about it, I don't really agree with that. It just didn't sit well with me. And I wasn't at peace with it. So I had to depart. It yeah. did not sit well with my values. Huh, interesting. So, it was interesting that people would say that who are business owners, considering that Jeff Bezos, the richest man in the world, by the way, Amazon lost money for the first 10 years of operation. Isn't that, I saw that. You saw isn't that, that one? crazy? It's wild. Like $215 million it's, are negative. I'm like, what? Yeah. Crazy. Uh, talk about failing for 10 years. <laughs> you can't fail for <laughs> two months. Come on. Uh, you know, uh, one of the things, though, is um, it, he said it's always been about the customer. Hmm. That was his main thing when he's interviewed as a young guy and he says, our insane focus on the customer mm. and giving them the best possible experience is what will make us the, the biggest, the wealthiest company in the world. You right? even said it like him. That was, he, that was impressive. I did, right? Yeah. I, got, I was trying to tap <laughs> into my <laughs> inner Bezos. <laughs> well, you're getting there. Yes. That's good. That was awesome. <laughs> uh, so whenever you don't, mm. you, you, it's, it's all about that um, sacrifice what you want now for what you want most. Mm. And I think... It's an immaturity and short-sightedness in, in thinking yeah. that, yes, you need this now. We get it. You want a better schedule right now, and you want a more money, and you want da 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 But those are things you need right now based on that circumstance because you're, you're not looking at the bigger picture, and I think that's Bezos' biggest Yes, thing. and those things are important. I'm not saying you neglect They're not, it Of course they However, are, yes. However, how you go about it, how you go about is, it. is a reflection of leadership. Yes, And yes. who you're receiving, whoever that may be, myself especially, yes. not excluding the other people, myself especially, I, I'm in the same boat as them. Yes. I'm no different than them. I'm yes. going through what those people are going through, and it's like, okay, how will I deal with the situation? It's all 100% leadership, and based on the information that you're seeking yeah. and receiving is how you it's going to come out. 100%. Right? What comes in, it comes out, right? So through the senses and go down that path. But the whole point is, is that that's a reflection of leadership. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not willing to follow someone who's willing to sacrifice all the relationships based on one thing for selfish gain. That's a tyrannical force in my yeah. eyes. And I said, you know what? I've been that person. Sure. I've been that person before. That's why I was so isolated. That's why I moved to West Palm. I had no relationships. I, sac I sabotaged all my relationships. I have been the Hitler. I have been the Stalin. Yeah. But because I know that's who I could be as well, right? I also now know who not to be. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? A little bit of loss for some gain. Mm -hmm. And so the mm -hmm. reality is, is which I love. Do you listen to Jordan Peterson by chance? Oh, yeah. Oh, man, yeah. dude. He is on fire. Yeah. Yeah, so, he's on fire. He's uh, always been on fire for a long time. I saw time. him. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just recently, uh, probably about two, three years ago, and he, I'll just say this, he kept me alive quite wow, a bit. Wow, yeah. Yeah. Through this season, uh, about two years ago, he kept me alive. There's a couple uh -huh. things there. Pretty deep. Um, oh, yeah. And one He's of the things. He's known to help. Man, so all men. My brothers and I, we saw him in Tampa when he was oh, you on did? tour. Oh, dude, it was yeah. nuts. And uh, so insane. Uh, then we got Korean barbecue afterwards. It was the best thing Which ever. Is and great. then I drove back at like 3 o'clock in the morning. That's the grind it takes. Yeah. Why and, not? Uh, yeah. And it was got like Korean a, it barbecue. Was on a Tuesday. Got Korean it's barbecue. Fine. Had Jordan Peterson. Yeah. I'm like flying to work, that fired is an up. My clients are like, drive. I'm what in the world? Like, the how are you awake right now? I'm like, let's go. go. Right? Like, Did I'm you fired know up. what I've been yeah. through? I've got Korean barbecue <laughs> in my veins. And I've got Jordan Peterson in my head. I'm fired up. I'm good. Let's go. You know, it was so good. Yeah, and uh, yeah. one of the things he says was he and he gave a different interpretation of what uh, one of the verses in the Bible says, you know, that meek shall inherit the poor. And what does he mean by meek, right? Meek in the English dictionary without context is going to be weakness. And mm -hmm. there is a sense of weakness and sense of humility, mm -hmm. right? But meek shall inherit the poor is this, is that I have a sword and you have a sword. 
We both are dogs. We both have teeth. I know I can tear someone apart. I know I'm a Stalin. I know I'm a Hitler. I know that's inside of me now, and I can't reject it because I've seen it fruition in my life, and that sucks. But here's the thing. My comeback story is I changed my ways, checking my character, having the right proper guidance, and rise from that situation in regards to my character. Not perfect, but still growing. And the thing is, is even though I can stab you and you can stab me, we're still going to trust each other. Yeah, right. You see what I'm saying? Right, but course. you still check, right? Yes. And so what I loved about that, though, is that we all have teeth. Yeah. Some people don't have teeth. It's guys between nice guys and good guys. Nice yeah. guys, ugh, they give me the ugh, not good. Yeah. And I was the nice guy. Then there's good guys. They do what's right. Yeah. Not based on what everyone wants and expects of them. There's a very big difference between that. Well, Wild at Heart, John Eldridge, phenomenal book. Probably the number one book I've ever read in my entire life. And the point is, though, is that, is that we all have teeth. And I can use them, but I'm going to choose not to. I have the sword to be able to cut you open, but I'm going to choose to sheathe it, even though you deserve it. Mm -hmm. Even though you backstab me. Mm -hmm. Even though... It's right. It is the right thing to do. Not righteous, but it's the right thing to do because mm -hmm. what you did to me and I for an eye, but I'm choosing not to anyways. Yeah. Turn the other cheek. You see mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Yes. This is the meek shall inherit the poor. Why? Because the example you exempt around everyone else for not blowing up on that person, not fucking them up, not decking that person in the face, not sabotaging their, their reputation, not as uh, someone who's going to destroy the way that other people perceive them because things didn't work out the way that it was. All those things, Right. Because I'm, I'm going to choose not to do that in and of itself, that example is everyone else is going to have respect for you and they're going to trust you because they know, man, I'm surprised you didn't, you didn't just chew that person out, but instead you extended grace. Mm -hmm. I had that example in my life. His name is Kimi. Mm -hmm. It makes me cry. I cry all the time because I think of the example. I saw the things that that individual went through. He is the most resourceful person I've ever met in my entire life. Mm -hmm. Tony Robbins 101. He says that the not, reason my business fails is not a matter of resources, but a lack of resourcefulness. Mm -hmm. He is the most resourceful person I've ever met in my entire life. And he extended grace to me in ways that I still cannot comprehend. Mm. I am unbelievably grateful because of his character. And I will go to war with someone if he says that person looked at me wrong. I will mm -hmm. rip them to shreds. Mm -hmm. I will sacrifice it all because that person put it on the line for me. He gave me what I've never received as a human form. Not perfect, but man, I can trust that person. I love that person. I know he loves me. Yeah. Those people, a Kimmy, a Coach Ennis for me, uh, it was um, uh, a Joe, uh, all these people in my life. I have a bunch of Jeff. I have a whole bunch of these people in my life. Thankfully, Dan, G George, all these people. Those people, dude, they inherited the world and it's a fruition in their relationships their mm -hmm. mental health, their physical health, their financials, right? Their social stand, all those things. I can see the fruition of it. Mm -hmm. Why? Because they were, they had enough humility, right? To realize that the person they're dealing with is human as well. Mm -hmm. And they know in themselves that they can be the Stalin. They can be these evil people, but they choose not to be anyways. Shall inherit the world. Yeah. yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Peterson said uh, his big, it's, it's, it's highly quoted in all the motivational videos. He says, um, you know, you should be a monster. Oh, Favorite. Remember that whole Dude, that whole thing? Favorite. Yeah, you yes. should be a monster, and then you should learn to control it. That yes. kind of thing. And um, he's mentioned that. I think it was. I forgot what interview it was. It might have been Joe Rogan's podcast that he said that. But it's in so many because I feed my brain a lot of motivational stuff on a daily basis. It's in so many of the videos, and I I think that that's where you're kind of pulling that from. And I I can I I, I, can, I can only agree. Uh, I can agree 100% on that. Yeah. And I only wish that more men realized, and women, anybody really realized is, 
knowing you what you could be mm. and then taming it mm. is a much better path. But you have to find out but for you yourself. Have you out. have to become have a to, monster. You, have, you to. have to find out what does not work so you lose so you can gain. Back yes, to what you're saying. Yes. This is entrepreneurship 101. That's life 101. It is life 101. <laughs> That's you life know what 101 I'm saying? right there. Yeah. It's like you have to and then you dial it back and then you burn out and then you fail and then you lose here and then you lose this business and then you all these things and what happens is is now I run at about 86%. That's the number I've gone. I've dialed it down to like percentages. I've done the charts. It's weird. But I'm <laughs> just crazy. that weird guy because I don't drink, <laughs> yeah. I don't smoke, I don't do anything on weekends. And, yeah. you know, it's just during my downtime, I'm just a weird dude and I just nerd out. And this is what I do. Yeah. Right. And so I'm 84 to 86% is usually not quite 85 for some reason. I did a chart. It was really weird. Point being is that right around that number is when I realized I can sustain being, I can sustain being on it. Yeah. On it. 90, too much. Right? It's that 80-20 rule. I'm pushing it to 84 to 86 as hard as I can. Yeah. And I'm still kind of doing one of these little things, but I'm learning. I can go a little bit beyond than 80% yeah. and keep it sustainable. I think 80 is the standard, but you have to find out for yourself. You have to go 100% over and over and over to learn how to dial that yeah, back. How to dial back. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so, what, so now that we know sort of your path a little bit, we, we still have to talk about Avlux and building this and how you got to this and what happened there. But before we do, what did your father have that conversation with you about? We, we didn't talk on that by the car in the drive, in the, where the mosquitoes were biting you. Oh, After yes. you had invested all that time into working out. He, he said something to you, and I'm curious if any, of, if any of that conversation may have influenced, now that we kind of saw the future a little bit, what that conversation was, was about. Yeah. Connect the dots moving back. Yeah. You can project moving forward. That's right. That's right. why I think it's fun that we kind of skipped and now can come back to 100%. It. Yeah. And that's that in and of it. He's we've had many conversations. That was one of the biggest ones. Mm-hmm. And he says at a later time as well, he said this once before, and it was the biggest leap of faith I've ever taken is when I moved from Tampa to West Palm. Pretty wild story. But he said, dude, how, we, how my dad said he looked at it was like sometimes life is like this unbelievably fast moving train, like at the speed of light. And it only comes so many times in your life. And when that sucker comes, bro, you hold on to dear life, to faith as much as long as you possibly can, because eventually it's gonna drop you off somewhere. And then it's another wilderness. It's another barren mm. desert. You're out in space. You're wherever you are in a desert. And now you're, you're there and you gotta figure it out. Yeah. And you gotta work toward, so you can get to the next destination. And so a part of it is personal responsibility, moving yourself forward. Also, a part of it is also God as well. And so mm-hmm. you have these different pillars along the road. There's a relationship there that's required for us to move forward, right? Uh, that I believe, right? Pulls us forward, excuse me. And that's what he said. He said, dude, once you have that sense of direction, you operate in faith. And when that train moves, baby, do you better. You hold on to dear life more mm-hmm. than anything you ever did. And yeah. I held on to those words. That's when I moved from... West Palm to Tampa. Yeah. Uh, that was a couple of years later. Um, but it all built up into uh, that conversation. Yeah. Right. A um, little bit of a backstory. Ran track and field. Yeah. High school. Yeah. Went to, I had different uh, Arkansas, Ole Miss was the two D1 schools, great schools. Arkansas that year, they had more D1 athletes or athletes from that school go to the Olympics than any yeah. other school in the country. Okay. Phenomenal school and uh, phenomenal coaches. Right. And uh, I went down a, another path. I went to another school called Lee. And I don't want to say it on here. Uh, but what I'll say is that the coach did something illegal. Mm. And uh, 
well, fuck it. I'm just going to say it. So I went to the school and because I wasn't running the time. So I got a track and field scholarship. You have track and field in spring. Mm-hmm. You go to school, college freshman year in fall. Well, fall is cross country season. I'm not a cross country runner. Uh-huh. And so he uh, assembled a team of coaches. And um, I'll just say it this way is that uh, the coach that he assembled probably wasn't the best coach. Okay. And so he would tell our head coach, we would do things that we never did. We would go do other things. And it was just, we weren't on track. And so, I, so I, yeah, oof, I can get into it. So uh, the point is, is that eventually got to a point where I wasn't producing the times during off season. And so the coach, what he decided to do, this is in September, right? This is crazy. Actually, I haven't said this ever. So I'm um, like publicly. So I'm just going to say it now. So yeah. if they, I hope these, some of these people are listening a little <laughs> bit deep inside me a little bit. Yeah. The reason why is because I had a quote unquote full ride scholarship. Didn't have to go to the school. Okay. And so I decided to go to the school, full ride scholarship. He decided to take the money out of my science scholarship and disperse it with the team. Wow. Which gave them a scholarship because it was a first year for a track program. Whoa. And then when I quit the team, because I knew this happened, because someone called me from the administrator office on a September 9th and said, hey, if you don't make your final payment for XYZ, you're booted from the school. We need our final payment. I said, no, I don't. I don't owe you anything of a full ride scholarship. And they're like, well, you should probably come in. So I was yelling at the lady because I was losing it, right? And I had her turn the screen and I saw a deficit of a couple thousand dollars and I'm sitting there and I'm like, how is that possible? She goes, you probably need to talk to your coach because it's a scholarship money. So I talked to my coach and he says, well, Zach, you're not running the times I'm asking you to run. I said, coach, I'm a track and field runner. I'm not a cross country runner. We're six months away from that. Months, not six, four months away from that. How do you know what I can run if we're not even, you dispersed it with the team. It's already too late. They already have the money. So even if I did run the times, how can you, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, let's just say I had a lot of trust issues. And Damn, uh, that's so here's the thing though, that was the only way that I got out of co- got into college uh-huh. was going to one of these schools, right, the school that I course. chose to do, go to end up stabbing me in the back. Wow. And so the thing is, is I ended up quitting the team. The first time I ever quit my entire life, I never quit a team in my life, November 7th. I remember sitting there and I said, man, this is the last day I would ever run track and field. And this is the way it's going to go down. This, I, this was my identity. Right. This is who I was. Right. This is what I was known for, nationally ranked for. This is who yeah, I was. Right. Everything, newspapers, all of Your it. Your whole being Everything. gone, ripped. And I walked away from the team and the team was mad at me because I quit. And the same people who were mad at me that I quit were the people who were eating my scholarship. Yeah. And I They didn't know. They didn't freaking know. I only told one girl. And she was like super, like super awesome, sweet, sweetest girl in yeah. the world. I just knew that I could trust her because she had a really good heart. Yeah, because you can't and, let that get out. Yeah. And so right. it's like, and I knew she would understand. Mm-hmm. And so I said, don't tell anybody, but this is the truth. This is why I'm leaving. And I said, so I'm saying goodbye. Hug, give her a hug and walked away. I never At saw her again. At least you had one person that you could be honest with. <laughs> yeah. Because that helps. And it was, it was rough. Yeah, that helps. You know, it was yeah. just absolutely rough. Um, but the victory that came from this, so that was a track and field thing. So yeah. when I went back to Florida, there's a, it's actually, believe it or not, Oh, I'm not going to go down that path. But how I met Joe, ironically, I met Joe's organization that year, which is mm-hmm. crazy, in Tennessee. And then six years later, when I met Jason, I was pretty much reintroduced to Joe again, which is insane. Oh, uh, so wow. So it crazy how it all came together. It all came it together. It was crazy. So huh. like that, yeah, it was a, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. But when I went back to uh, Florida, I lost my Bright Future scholarship because I went to an NAI school, a private school, pretty much out of Florida. So I lost my Florida scholarship. So then I lost my schooling completely. So I had to leave Bright Futures and my schooling. Uh, and then I lost, uh, my girlfriend and I broke up and I was living at her house because there's trauma that I experienced at my house and it was illegal for me to live there because some stuff went down and cops got involved and I couldn't live there. And so then I lost my house when I broke up where my girlfriend and I broke up and then both my jobs let me go. 
Uh, my family turned their back on me and uh, track and field was my identity that was gone. All that in 30 days. Wow. So I went from on top of the world to homeless in 30 days. That is 18 years old. Crazy. Family dropped me off, left me, gone. Dude, figure it out. I have too much going on in my life right now. I can't handle this right now. And I don't actually blame them. And I was a lot of the problem. I'm the one who sacrificed a lot of those relationships because of what Zach wanted. I was that person. I was, I know who I can be. I know I have teeth, but I choose not to be, but I still channel that. But I had to learn that hit rock bottom. A couple months later, that's when I found the underground, right? That was another level. And I kept going down and it was on November 14th, 2012. I remember exactly where I was, the time it was 1106. And I hit my knees on the ground and I said, if God is real. The greatest thing that ever happened to me, which happened for me, okay? This is for all my little, uh, there's a difference between Christians and believers, uh-huh. okay? Believers is about relationship. Christians about religion. Big, big difference, biblical too, is that the greatest thing that I ever did was I questioned if God even existed coming from a Christian background, which is a crazy story. Mm-hmm. Like the background, I can go down that path. It's wild. I saw the evidence of God, but I didn't see him in my life because I was losing everything. At this point, uh, I was homeless, and then I moved in with my brother, and then I had to sell my car. So then I lost my car, and then I pretty much ran away from that situation, uh, and I went to go live with my grandfather, and I was at full, I was finally at rock bottom. I was at, it was pretty rough. Mm-hmm. And um, I said, God, if you're real, tomorrow I have to feel different. Like, you have to show up in my life. Mm. I remember going to bed that day or that night, and I remember when I laid down in bed, dude, it was so weird. It was like I can see myself from, like, I can see myself floating mm. and it was like these rays of energy that were leaving my body floating and drifting into space and I could feel my body doing this and I was so content with suicide mm. that it's not even a consideration it was a genuine if I don't I will I finally reached my maximum mm. and I remember falling asleep and drifting away and I was the first one off Skyway Bridge Easily. And it, th- it wasn't that I was excited for it, um, but I almost looked forward to the next chapter, whatever that would be. I'm about to find out. Mm-hmm. And I was ready. I was ready to go. And uh, I woke up. Strangest thing. I can't explain it any other way. And only 10 years later, I could actually define it and know what it was. I felt like something when I woke up the next morning, like a little block. Place like right here. And it was weird. I woke up and I was like, man, like, I don't know, I just, I couldn't explain it, but I just kind of sensed something was there. Mm. And uh, at the time I was working at a steakhouse in Tampa and I would walk to work, didn't have a car, didn't have a phone, didn't have anything, didn't have a laptop, didn't have a, I eventually got a bike, you know, I bought a mongoose bike for 35 bucks on OfferUp, I think it was, not even OfferUp, it was Craigslist back then, right? And, uh, but I would walk to work and, um, and I was a busboy and a barback and I couldn't finish a sentence. I mean, guys would be like, hey, Zach, what's up? I'd be like, I, I, yeah, yesterday. I'm like, man, I could not finish. It was a weird, and, they would look at me like, the heck did he just, like, what? Yeah. That was weird. And then they would keep going because they know I'm articulate because they know I do talk and they know that that's who I am. It's kind of weird. It's like, this guy's on drugs. He's drunk. Yeah. And um, throughout the day, I couldn't finish the sentence. And I knew from that day forward, something did change. I just, I was so distracted with the fact that I couldn't finish and complete a sentence that it literally, the frustration and the embarrassment of me not allowing me to finish my sentences literally kept me alive because it distracted me from the pain. Hmm. the embarrassment of not being able to communicate. And this is what I learned years, many years later, is that the 
What started first? I'm going to ask you a question. Images or words? What started first? Images. Images. I thought it was words. It's images. You're right. Oh, okay. Yeah. You thought it was words. I thought it was words oh. when I first was introduced to this idea. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And so there's an image inside of us, mm -hmm. okay? And if I were to, and I use my words taking action, right? There's something inside of me, mm -hmm. and I'm gonna take action, which is using my mouth to speak and vocalize and use these words to speak it into the universe. Okay, you ready? I'm thinking of a dog, right? Uh, a black dog. And this dog is uh, a lab, actually. And uh, it has one eye, uh, three legs, and is running across an open field. Okay. As I started to articulate and paint that picture, what happened was, is maybe the dog, when I said there's a dog, maybe looked a little bit different than the one that I said when I said there's a black dog. It changed the shape of what was inside of you. And the more I use my words, I begin to articulate something. And now I painted a picture inside of you. Mm -hmm. And when the picture is the same picture inside of me, using my words is now the same image and picture inside of you. We're in agreement. Yeah. And that's what amen means. Amen mm -hmm. means agreement. Mm -hmm. And now we're in agreement. We have common ground. Now we can take it to higher ground. Mm -hmm. These are the principles that Joe taught me. Mm -hmm. And what I learned was I was using my mouth and my voice and what God gave me, the ability to take my emotions and my thoughts, which is also came from my father. I learned that from him during that conversation. Actually, it's crazy. I'm just thinking about it now. Mm -hmm. My dad told me one of his gifts is taking those words and emotions and putting them into words. And that painted my dream. I'm like, man, I can do that too. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's our common ground. And that's why we took it to higher ground. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, then it... I began to not speak because all I would do when I spoke was produce the life that I created and almost committed suicide. I created that. I isolated myself completely. Mm -hmm. And so I had to relearn how to create everything from the inside out. That's when life began. Mm. That's when awareness began. And there's a whole crazy story that comes with that. But that's where the awareness aspect started to come in. I began to question things because I couldn't articulate things. And I started to draw and I have these crazy drawings, are very dark drawings, but these were expressions because I didn't know how to express myself, so I began drawing, and I created these drawings and stuff. And so maybe I'll, I'll share that with you, and if you want to yeah, throw it on yeah, you know, yeah. a podcast, That'd whatever cool. it is, and yeah. stuff like that, just started to create these things. Interesting. And this was my creative outlet, and I would listen to music, and music was a volume that, was, that I can trust because it wouldn't backstab me. I knew what was coming next, and so I started using this as a volume to increase the frequency of my mind and my mm. creative capacity and start drawing these things, and then it was an expression of who I was, and it got me to the next day. Right. This is what carried me through the process. Right. And um, then that's when I moved to West Palm. And that's where that kind of that journey began. That's the West Palm journey. And then this journey is your this is clearly pre Av Lux. But is, so you're, you're not in the health and wellness space. Not yet. This is not. OK. No, sir. So you move here. This is 10 years ago, 10 years ago from almost this day. Um, wow. Okay, so talk me through now what happened. So you moved to West Palm. Moved to West Palm. Where does, where does it, how does it end you? Here. Here. Sure. <laughs> well, I'll start in where, West Palm. When I moved yeah. to West Palm, it's a place called Pershing Suites. Pershing Suites is a place where it was $500 to live there. It's like this little place. It's probably about as big as this. It's probably about 100, 200 square feet. Uh -huh. And uh, if you open up the door, you pretty much hit the bed. The bed was right there. There's my bathroom and shower, which is about this big. Oh, and the wow. shower is a little bit larger than this. This is my bathroom and shower. And I had a desk right here, and I had a kitchen over there. And it was rat-infested, cockroaches. It was absolutely disgusting to a point where this is where people would die, and they were forgotten about because they didn't have anybody else in their life, and they would just rot. Uh, I remember walking in, and it was like a sour smell for like three days. And I found out that some guy died, and no one came to get him, and no one, he had no uh, cordless 
much oh with anybody. Gosh. Very drug infested kind of situation. And so that's where I started. And so I would walk to work. And what was work? The gym. Okay. So. so I would walk a mile to work. And so I would walk. It would be nasty as heck. I didn't have the clothes. I didn't have any money. I didn't have anything. I didn't have a phone. I didn't have any of these things. Uh, I think by that time I had a phone. And I did buy a laptop at that time as well. But I didn't have anything else. And so mm. I would walk to work. And so eventually I would walk to work because it's so nasty and sweaty. I learned as I shadowed uh, this trainer, this, this business owner, mm-hmm. uh, and learned from him. And he took me under his wing. I began to shadow him and stuff like that. But I would show up to work really smelly because all these people are Palm Beachers. And so then I had to carry two bags of clothes. But what if it rained? So mm. then I had to carry three bags of clothes. And I had nowhere to do laundry. So then I had to figure it out. So at a time when I was leaving, when I was going, how early I had to go, all these different things. And this is my life. And then one client saw me and felt bad and said, Hey, I have like seven different bikes. The cheapest one's like 1500 bucks. The most expensive is like $9,000. And he showed me all the bikes and he's like, I got these as gifts. And so I just want to give you this bike so I can get to and from work. And so one day I'm riding my bike to work and I got this really good, weird gut feeling seven o'clock in the morning. I was like, man, if, when I get up to the certain point, I'm going to get hit by a car and get T-boned. Sure enough, man, I, I embraced it and I looked over Dude, this car was, he blew through the first stop sign, the second or the first like stop. The second one was like an extended sidewalk and he hit me in midair because I hit my brakes. I flipped over, hit me, spun me around, boom, hit the ground. And, uh, I remember like just laying there and the guy keeps driving. He goes, Hey, are you okay? And I said, I guess like I was, I was so in shock. I, I, I looked up, I saw the car. He got in the car, drove away. I wasn't late though. I still got to work on time. Oh my God. Went to work. A couple of days later, because of that incident, I was advised by one of the lawyers that uh, were trained at the gym that, hey, after a couple of days, see how your body feels, you might have to go to chiropractic. And so I went to a chiropractor across a, uh, in Palm Beach that another client of mine, his name is James, and uh, he referred me to him. And I went into the office and I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is crazy. It's my, like really my first time on Palm Beach Island and I'm being serviced here. I'm like, this is nuts. Second wealthiest zip code on the planet or in, in the country. And number one place for trust funds, second trust funds in the country is uh, in the world for trust fund money. And so I'm sitting there with the chiropractic, Bebiatsky, and I asked him, I said, hey man, like you're the only chiropractic here on Palm Beach Island and you always have been. I said, how did you, do, like, give me advice, like help me. Like, and he, I think he saw a little version of him inside of me. Mm-hmm. And he said, Zach, here's the thing, best advice. He says, if you take their first 100 clients if you treat them like kings and queens, they'll take care of you for the rest of your life. Walked out, pretty much never saw them again. Yeah. So that was the beginning That's of the entrepreneurial gold. path. That's gold. And so what happened was over the course of time and how we got here into this gym is that I began to seek out people who were really great at what they did. Thankfully, all the clients had a form of success. And so I began to pick their minds and learn from them. Mm-hmm. And I then started getting certifications. And then I started growing and growing and stuff like that. And it was a process. I had mental breakdowns. I was mentally, dude, screwed. I mean, it was bad. I mean, it was like really bad. It was like crying in the gym, lobby, bawling my eyes out, Jeez. just having a mental, yeah. having yeah. all the pressure on me. Yeah. Right? Uh, there was times where I was being booted from my place and my dad says, hey, son, I love you. You're going to survive. You're going to be okay and walks away. And so that's, I mean, and then that's what happened. And so I've had family do the same thing it's just been rough and so there's been times where i've been booted from places where i literally had no money and we figured it out that's the reality and that my dad was a little tough on me a little tough love uh but a little (laughs) a little bit but 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 we survived and so that's the thing you figure things out and so over the course of years i actually left the fitness industry okay two things one everyone that i worked for owned something they were a business owner or Mm. owned assets of some sort two financially independent and I realized the vehicle that I was in did not have the capacity to produce the results and lifestyle that I wanted to live. Here's the thing, mind boggling, Joe, 
first conversation. Zach, when you choose what you do as an occupation, you don't get to choose the outcome. When you choose what you do, there's a lifestyle already attached to it. Example, yeah. you're a personal trainer, Zach. Say you make $50,000 a year. When you make $50,000 a year, you're probably not going to go to Morton Steakhouse on a Tuesday in the middle of the day because you make $50,000 a year. You're probably going to live close to 995 so you can get to work on time. You're probably going to drive a Nissan like I do today and not a Bugatti or a Bentley or something that's nicer. Not saying those things are what people want, but the point is is that there's a lifestyle attached to it. It doesn't have the capacity to produce a certain lifestyle. All occupations when you choose what you do. He says, Zach, but here's the thing. Reverse engineer. He says, we're going to start with the end in mind. He said, Zach, how do you want to live? I'll see you in 24 hours. And so a couple of days later, he comes back and he says, how do you want to live? And it was paragraphs long. There was not a job description. There was not any paragraphs long. What do you want to do? How do you want to live? How do you want to wake up? Who do you want to wake up with? Mm. Where do you want to wake up? Do you want to bring on friends? What do you want to do? How long do you want to do it for? Do you mm. want to go on the boat? How do you want to live your life? I began to draw this out. I began to expand my dream and really take the time to actually genuinely do this. He says, Zach, if you choose how you want to live, you don't get to choose what you do. You have to choose what you do, whatever produces that result. Mm-hmm. And if that vehicle, business, whatever you decide to do, mm-hmm. cannot produce, you'll never live that lifestyle. So you have to choose the vehicle to produce that lifestyle. Mm-hmm. You have two ways to live your life. It is personal decision. What do you want to do or how you want to live your life? The entrepreneurial path went from I'm a personal trainer to a business owner as an entrepreneurial path because how I wanted to live my life was different. Mm-hmm. And what I was currently doing wasn't working. And so I get a phone call. This is, I'm kind of going back and forth in time, but I get a phone call. I'm training a guy. He's at Rybovich. Rybovich, I think, is like you can only have a ship. It's over 195 feet. You can't park it in Palm Beach. Mm. And he had 36 people working for him, Italian guy. I won't say his name. And his physician ended up giving the gym a call. I pick up the phone, which I never do during the training session, but I did at like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And he says, is, is so-and-so there? I said, yes. He says, well, I'm their physician. I'm from Italy. And here's the thing. If they don't work out, he ain't going to make it. Mm. This man has a lifestyle better than Instagram wish they can get access to mm-hmm. and they would never they do renderings of this man's boat and lifestyle okay he has everything in the world third marriage no relationship with his kids i don't think he made it mm. that scared the hell out of me yeah see we're motivated to move forward with things our goals are great but i also have have not goals or never goals i would never live paycheck to paycheck again Mm-hmm. I'd never want to live like that individual. Mm-hmm. I don't want to sacrifice my whole life on the altar of business. Right. Sort of painting me in the direction of where I'm going to go today. So I left the industry. I went to the restaurant industry, worked with Kimmy. Crazy story. Long story short, that was my platform to begin business ownership and entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. So I actually was a owner, not an owner, a manager of a restaurant. Yep. At his expense to run the company, essentially. He taught me entrepreneurship, resourcefulness, et cetera. I moved up to North Carolina. At the time, I was dating a girl. Her dad owned a uh, landscape company. Mm-hmm. And I'll just say it very briefly, is that uh, he was not who he said he was and oh. stole a lot of money. And so I branched off from that while I was dating his niece, who I was going to get married to at the time. Mm-hmm. That wasn't a lot of wisdom. Mm-hmm. Definitely didn't want that lifestyle. And therefore, I met Joe. Ah. And Joe put me on the right path. And I realized if I want to help and develop assets and build assets long-term, I need to have stable income. Yep. I can't be doing a hardscaping business. So I moved back down to Florida, 26 years old, restarting my life again, living on my mom's couch. Mm-hmm. Living on my mom's couch, sold my PS4 so I could attend an event that I couldn't even get to and I didn't even qualify for that he put on. 
in December, and I was so frustrated and sick and tired of being sick and tired. And so my mom ended up getting to a point where she knew one of her employees uh, was uh, had a house, and I rented a room there. And the first day I moved to West Palm, I met Holly. She's the first soul that I ever met. So, oh, wow. Yeah. Who's going to be my wife? Yeah. We'll get married here in spring, spring, summer. And that's when I met her. The day I met her, we started dating. And she knows the whole process. And so I suffered, and I went through the fourth financial year. It's so uncomfortable. I worked four different jobs. It was insane. It was 24 hours around the clock. It was nuts. And so I then became a personal trainer. I started getting more clients. I was working at the restaurant. I was valeting at like two, two o'clock in the morning. I was working as a personal trainer, but I had to get all my own clients. Yeah. For the most part. So I put in the time at the gym and wait there until a client walks into the door and hopefully I was given that client so they can build a relationship. I was doing all those things. Yep. And I was building assets outside of that in another industry. And so eventually got to a point where I was making enough money in personal training where I stepped away from the restaurant, stepped away from valet first, and then the restaurant, and then mm. full-time personal training. Personal training, and this is where I'm going to conclude to, is personal training. Then it, it, it got to a point where I was working for this individual, and let's just say I didn't agree with how things were done administrative-wise mm -hmm. and uh, personally and professionally, et cetera. And so I left, and I went to work at another person who actually we both started together at this gym. Okay. He branched off, and then... I eventually went over and so we had an agreement about things when I moved over and about not even a year into it he went against that agreement and I branched off now here's what's crazy mm -hmm. I had to rebuild my business three times I'm gonna be very transparent about this okay the first time is when I first moved back to West Palm one time I decided not to get the COVID vaccine just for my personal opinion okay that's number two so a lot of my client ninety thousand dollars walked away after my worst financial year of my life I was willing to walk away from it now, not because it was the right decision, getting the vaccine or the vaccine. It was standing on what I believe. Yeah, your belief system is the most important thing. Most right? important thing. You mm -hmm. don't sacrifice yourself to do that, regardless yeah. if you get it or didn't. It's no, not, it's I, don't, I know people who should have, and I'm glad they did. I know people who should have, and they didn't. I know people who didn't, yeah. and they regret yeah, it. Of course. It doesn't matter. It right. doesn't matter. What matters right. is I stood on what I believed. So that was that. That was the second time. The third time is that when I started working at the other, this other gym, he pretty much put a contract that I could not sign because it went against my values, and I think I expressed that. And yep. that was the third time lost my business again. Here's the thing. There is not a gym in sight now to be able to do anything. And now I was figuring it out. There's not a gym to bring my clients. My clients did everything for me. They fought for me, bro. I owe them everything. Hey, you know what? Uh, charge me $150 an hour. You're going to show up to my house on Tuesdays and Thursdays. We're going to walk on the beach and every other day we're going to go to Planet Fitness. Mm. By the way, I'm the number one financial investor or excuse me, financial advisor for American Express on the planet. And I live in a $45 million home and we're going to pull up in my Porsche when we go to Planet Fitness. I don't care about that. I care about you, Zach. I appreciate you. Mm -hmm. I had other clients who did the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. They did whatever they took to take care of me because they knew not what I believed in, but that they believed in me and they loved me and they wanted to be with me as a trainer. And so during this time of figuring this out, which is the most stressful thing, 19 trainers signed, or not 19, about 10 of them signed the contract. I just could not do it, right? They're shocked that I left. And I dipped out and I left on class terms. I would not be, he threatened me. So I would not be threatened. I do not tolerate that. I said, money is not my God. And you owe me a 1099 at the end of the, end of the year of March. And I walked away from the business. He said, if you don't sign, then blah. I said, okay, then I quit. You don't threaten me, bro. You do not threaten me. I would never subordinate my name to another man, period. I am the king of my domain. Do you understand that? Mm -hmm. There's principle and values that I will not, I would never put a jersey on my back with someone else's name. It will never happen. Mm -hmm. I'm not in part of that arena. Not saying that's bad. I love sports, by the way, as an athletic guy, right? Yeah, yeah. I own a gym. I'm all about it. But there's something about certain things that I do not stand on yeah. that are just, in my opinion, I don't do. This all generated to a point where I'm sitting in the square, still trying to figure things out, 
bouncing all over the place, sleepless nights, trying to, I mean, it was just, it was insane. Everyone thinks I was nuts. And I get a call randomly from a guy named Nathan, my business partner. Now, Nathan and I met, he was 525 pounds, lost 316 pounds in this gym that we're standing in in two years. Mm. When I met him, he was 209, 1%. He was in the single digit body fat. He never told me this story until we got, after we got into business, after we signed contracts. I never mm. knew this stuff. It was insane. So him and I stay connected because at the original gym that I first moved over from Tampa to West Palm when I was working there, he was there. We got connected. I got his number. And for three years, when I left that gym, it was three years. Bro, I didn't talk to the man for three, three years. years. He randomly gives me a call. Okay. On, I think I have the dates, like April 16th or something like that. I remember all the dates. Super cool. I remember all the texts. We celebrated. We went out to dinner and stuff like that. It was awesome this year. And he said, hey, man, I know I've offered different business you know, positions to you before. Um, I want to offer or put something on the table as an opportunity, not a business position. I said, okay, I'm open. And we sat down and we're now standing in Avlux Gym. Wow, that's crazy. So he bought the entire plaza, 10,000 square feet, mm-hmm. bought the business itself. And I was already partnered with three other of my clients who also were potentially, but were kind of fiddling with some ideas, playing with some ideas to potentially open up a gym in the Palm Beach, West Palm Beach area. Mm-hmm. And then he gives me a call rent. Dude, three years I haven't talked to this guy. Yeah. And he puts a gym in my so lap. So crazy. Because I stood on what I believed. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? So when I say you're taking action on faith, you're standing in the manifestation yeah. of something that I believe that I sacrificed everything for three times. I'm on my fourth up and rising. Now I'm building the gym. I've been here five years. I've built my business four times. I've been tested in ways that I never thought I'd be imagined. Backstabbed by my best friend. Best friend. Backstabbed. Uh, not backstabbed, but just uh, gone back on word and change of position and good thing you're doing your business. That's how you want to run it. That's fine. It's not good with me. Mm-hmm. Stood on what I believed. Mm-hmm. And then when you talk about, Zach, you're, you now have the things because you sacrificed and therefore you have today. Yeah. And here's the key. I'm the one, the one who put this together. I genuinely believe because I stay true to my faith while taking action on what I believe and the image that was put inside of me mm-hmm. because Joe poured into me and Kimmy poured into me. All these people poured, changed my self-image and something started to, to create. Mm-hmm. I never wanted to open a gym. I then realized I need to open a gym when someone pulled that, that BS contract on me and said, if you don't sign, I own everything you have that you built for for 10 years. Mm-hmm. I said, the answer is no. I said, and you're making that move because you're the only gym in the region? I said, absolutely not. It ain't happening, dude. I said, we're not doing this. I said, you know what? I said this to him. I said, dude, I sacrificed the situation for a relationship. I'd rather keep the relationship. He's a good dude. I just didn't agree with his method. He's not a bad person. I actually, what broke my heart the most is I admired him. He was my top four or five people that I admired the most. Mm. It hurt. It's not he's a bad person. If we go out to dinner, I go out to dinner with him today. Mm-hmm. He's, a, he's a super cool dude. Brilliant, by the way unbelievably brilliant like I can go on forever I admired this person I wanted to be like him he was there for me through some of the worst things Mm -hmm. and it just uh, our visions were different yeah and so I genuinely believe because I stay true to my faith to what it is that I believe that was spoken into me right now this is a physical manifestation of what it is Mm-hmm. Nathan would just probably maybe look at it a completely different perspective. He doesn't maybe see it the same way. He just saw it as a business opportunity. I don't know. But what I'm saying is that I know for my life, this is what it created into. Mm-hmm. You're now standing in a manifestation of something that I genuinely believe that because I stayed true, God honored me. Yeah. Through the struggle? Oh, man. I can't explain the resistance. I'm skipping story after story. No, the I know because otherwise to we're going to be, yeah, because we're we're... That, that I can only imagine how much you've skipped 
but we still got so much. Yeah. No, we'd be here for days. Uh, well, you wouldn't change a thing, would you? Or maybe in your case, you would. I don't know. Usually when I ask this question as a, you know, as a final kind of, yeah. a, a couple questions I ask at the end where. You know what I learned? I went back to my roots when I was 12 years old where I gained all that weight back to my neighborhood yeah. in December before we opened up in January, a couple of days later on Christmas by myself, drove out there all the way to Tampa and I went to the courts where I built myself and I did a conversation with myself and it was eight minutes and one second. My birthday was on August 1st. So that was kind of cool. The uh. conversation with myself was very simple. You were right, Zach. All those mistakes, you were on the right path the entire time. Yeah. You were on the right. All those mistakes led me to where I am today. You yeah. were right. And I just gave grace to, my, grace to my younger self. All the fuck-ups that I did my whole life, it led me to where I'm at still to this day. Yeah. And even though you made the wrong decision, in the end, you were right. Because it still led to something beautiful yes, in the end. because you didn't stop. Because you didn't stop. You didn't stop believing. You, you, you kept faith. I just... Almost lost it. Dude, just take action. You kept it. On what you On what you believe and take action against the thing you fear. All yeah. the other... As a byproduct say that one that? more time so that people can, can hear that. Sure. Take action on, say that. that you take action on what you believe. Take action on what you believe. And take action on what you fear. That's it. The description of action on what you believe is not giving up. But if I focus yes. on not giving up, that won't lead me to taking action on what I fear. Right. So two different things. Sure. You can have one without the other. Walk in faith, bro. Bro, that's it. Let fear faith. move you forward. Faith. Faith it till you make it. Faith it not, you make not fake it. it. You faith it. Faith you take it action. You make it. Because I think about it. it. Action on what you believe is in the future. That's a vision of what you believe. You're, when you take action, even though you're not there yet, you're still. That's what faith is. People take action. They have faith in a whole bunch of other things. They just don't know what faith is. Yes. Once you once I learned what faith is, oh man, it changed the game. Unbelievable. Well, if you want to check out Avlux Gym, if you want to train with one of the incredible trainers at this gym, if you want to peer into this man's mind, into this man's soul, and, and learn uh, from this man. Um, we'll put all the info down below. I love this conversation, man. I loved everything about this conversation. Thank you so much. I had to get up and give you a pound. That was unbelievable. Thank you all for joining. Uh, my name is Paul Masters. This is the Growth to Greatness podcast. Zechariah, Avlux Gym, this guy has been through it all, and I'm inspired. I, I want to go do something. I'm ready to go. I think everybody around here uh, is also really inspired. So thanks again for the time, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, man. All right.